Welcome to the official podcast of Forternia.com. We have the power. I'm your host, AJ, a.k.a. Voodoo Magic, a.k.a. Zor. And today's episode is titled, What a Way to Go. A title not only apropos because we are finally continuing our retrospective review series of the Netflix 2021 show, Masters of the Universe Revelation Today, specifically episode five, The Forge at the Forest of Forever, where Roboto bittersweetly recites that line of dialogue. But we are also simultaneously completing the part one retrospective today, closing out the podcast calendar year, all while hitting our small little landmark 10th episode milestone. So indeed, what a way to go. And what a co-host to go with, because today, if you are a fan of toy photography, especially Masters of the Universe toy photography, you may already have visited, liked, and subscribed to the excellent work of the Emerald Knight on Instagram to see our favorite Motu figures snapped in a blend of spectacular poses, dynamic lighting, and special effects. And the man behind those wonderful shots is John, and we're happy to have him here. So welcome, John. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm extremely excited to talk a bit about your toy photography and the genesis of that. But first, uh, with any great toy shot, I imagine you need to establish your background first. And so should we. So specifically, your Motu background. So can you, John, share your personal gateway into the fandom? You know, you know your personal origin story with masters of the universe and how you became a fan uh pretty much um i'm still uh i'm i'm the same age as he-man basically <laughs> we were both born in 1982 uh we both turned 40 this year so um but really my intro was was really my brother he he's nine years older than me and so he uh he he, he had the figures first and I think it was like the first or second wave he had them. And then as I got, you know, maybe two, three years old in that kind of mid eighties, while the show was going on and while Shira came on the scene, I basically picked up those figures and ran with it through the the rest of the eighties. I just, it's, I mean, those were like pretty much my baby toys. I mean, I, I don't remember a whole lot of Sesame Street or anything like that. I remember just seeing He-Man and just like going to it like, yes, this is, this is, I mean, this is, you know, I need this, I need this in my life. And uh, again, it was the same time as the filmation cartoon, uh, power, the power of the story coming out. And I just really just gravitated towards it. It's just something that stayed with me for a long time. And just so happy that now we have this, this revolution or this, this re uh, uh, you know, this, this rebirth of He-Man and everything that's coming out, whether it's um, origins and, and Masterverse figures and just everything that's, that's related to Motu just finally, you know, getting this second, really third life. If you, if you, you know, when you count the 2000 X version, now it's like another, you know, genesis of that. Yeah. This one has really rekindled a lot of people's fandom. Um, I remember when 2000 X came out and it really didn't have an impact like revelation, this CG show did. I think it just hit the right time and the original fan base, which is the largest fan base, uh, Finch's toys and the filmation fans. And that's what uh, Masters of the Universe 
It's the shoulders the fandom stands on still. And I think it was just a perfect time. And so many people have, it's reignited their passions. And inspired so much creativity as well. And, and new collectors. Some that haven't touched a Masters of Universe action figure since the early 80s, you know? The original experience. Now, you had to have a favorite character, right? A favorite vintage toy. Yeah, I mean, Triclops has always been... I, I kind of... he I always equate him to Boba Fett. He's the Boba Fett of Motu, I think. Because he's... At least for me, because it's like he's so cool looking. Like me and my brother, that was his fa my, our favorites. But he didn't really... Like, I don't remember him too much from the Filmation cartoon. I don't remember him. It wasn't until 2000 next where he really had that. He was, he had the role of like being the the tech guy, yeah. you know, the being, he's like the scientist or he's the one that does all the tech or has, you know, does all the robots, and everything for Skeletor. Um, but yeah, he definitely was always just for some reason, just such a cool, you know, a cool character. Um, and then, well, I mean, I was always a huge He-Man fan, but yeah, definitely would probably be, probably be, Triclops and then also Trapjaw, but Trapjaw seemed to be more more on the film. He seemed like he was like always in filmmaking, like every episode of Filmation seemed like he was like almost like second command or really third behind Beastman and Evil Lynn, but definitely he was always up there. So seeing him a lot, I think that just you know embedded in my brain like this guy, yeah, he's he's a he's a main guy that I need to make sure I always I always you know get him in some form or fashion. You know, it's interesting. There's a tech connection between both of them. Yeah. We probably can like go in deeper to uh, why you <laughs> like those two characters. But you're right about Triclops. He didn't yeah. appear that much in the Filmation series. He ironically appeared in the first episode that aired. But you're, you're right. Other than um, maybe just a handful, it was really mostly Beastman, Evil Lynn, and then Trapjaw and Merman. And for some reason, Triclops wasn't as featured as much, which is interesting. So, all right. So. So now let's just talk about your toy photography. And I'm interested to discuss this with you because I really love toy photography and love looking at it and appreciating the, the artistry and the technical talent that goes into it. But what's even more interesting than toy photography to me is the, the person behind it, the toy photographer himself or herself and the passions behind it. What led you down the path of this hobby? Uh, pretty much, I've only been doing it for since February of this year. So just uh, just coming up on a year, it was really something that I, I, I've always had like a creative kind of, like something, I've always wanted to kind of be involved in, you know, creative aspects like that, whether it was, you know, some form of multimedia, whether it was, film and television production, stuff like that. That's kind of what I was going towards out of like in my early twenties. Like I really wanted to be a director, a dirt, you know, a, a film director. I used to shoot short films with, you know, a crew of people and, you know, stuff like that. I was always the light lighting person or working the camera or this and that. And then that, you know, life happens and you just, you know, this, you know, you know, life has other plans for me. So I went down a different route, but that always kind of stuck with me just having those creative type of juices. And then the toy photography, I kind of just like, I was on Instagram one day where I just, I would see pictures and see, you know, these action figures, just in dynamic poses, special effects, you know, the way the lighting's done. I mean, we're basically telling a story, telling a scene. And it just harkens back to those times when I was a kid and, and 
and having like these mini movies with my figures. Like I would do all kinds of crossovers or I would do all kinds of like, just like, like I would have like poses and I would not take pictures, but just like, if I wanted to, like in my mind, I'm thinking I'm creating a movie with these figures. Like I'd always have crossovers with He-Man and, 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 uh, Lino from the Thundercats. Cause I mean, I, I, I want to see that. I want to see that crossover, but yeah, I know, I mean, it's not given to me, so I'm just going to make it myself. And so that always kind of, when I go into my photography, I always want to bring that out is bring, bring out those kind of, um, creative elements. And I'm also growing up, I was a huge comic book fan too. And a lot, take a lot of inspiration from, from different comic book pages and, you know, classic scenes and trying to recreate that, or, or at least taking inspiration from that and in, in my photos. And so again, it's just, just getting this flood of just, whether it's, you know, the cartoons I watched, because as you know, I mean, we grew up in the best generation that the best, best time for, you know, growing up as a kid with cartoons. I mean, just, you can name it, just every single kind of franchise that came out during the eighties, you know, was amazing. You had a cartoon and you had an action, action figure line. Um, and then comic books as well during that time were really great with the art and everything going with it. So I think a lot of that is what I take inspiration for when I do my photography. You know, I, you know, it's interesting. I, it always seems that the gateway into this fandom is a combination of a passion. It's always action figures and photography or action figures and filmmaking. And it's somehow a merging of the two. It's interesting too. Did you ever feel like you were born at a different time? You know, you were chasing filmmaking and not to go too far off in a tangent. Something that I was always interested in too. Back when I was younger, Filmmaking and filmmaking equipment was so expensive and you didn't have computers or not like computers you do today. And you didn't have editing bases at your fingertips, high definition, handheld cameras where you receive phone calls. For me, I always wish that, you know, I might've been born at a later time where I was able to utilize these tools. Because back then, if you were making movies, you would need an eight millimeter film camera or something. And film is expensive. It's not, not reusable. And then you'd get these camcorders, VHS camcorders, beta camcorders. Which were really expensive, really clunky, not very good resolution. And back to today's age, back then you didn't have a way to share it. Here you could just put something on YouTube that you create and immediately reach basically millions of people. So did you ever wish that I was just a little younger, you know, or just born a little later? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I joke with my wife about that. It's like, oh, it's like, it's so easy now. I mean, and she's like, well, why don't you do it? I was like, oh, I just, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm already, I feel like I'm already past that age, but it's just like, yeah, definitely I have those same, you know, the same, the same idea. It's just growing, I mean, I, I, I would invest a lot in getting, you know, cameras and lights and everything, but it was expensive. And you had to basically be like a, you know, an apprentice or be like, you know, like in the olden days, like, you know, be like with learning some sort of craft like that or being an intern or a production assistant where you basically just, you know, lived off fast food and just didn't really have any money. Um, but you just got the connections and that's how you kind of just worked your way. Now it's like, yeah, somebody can just take, you know, something with their phone and make a video. And then like you said, it could just reach millions of people. And just like that, you're, you're a hit. 
So yeah, I definitely, I, I look at now, it's like, oh man, it's like it would have been so much easier back then than just, just the way we were shooting and, and as far as, you know, post editing, you know, software was so expensive and just like hard to get and, and knowing how to do it and just how to play with it. it. Just nowadays, it's like, you can just go on YouTube and see how to, how to edit a video and using different uh, applications and stuff. So I, I definitely feel like, oh yeah, if I just, if I, if I had, if I knew if, if I had, you know, the knowledge I have now, if I was just younger, oh man, with the resources now, it's like, yeah, it would just be, you know, be a lot easier, but yeah, you make you make it work how you can, and I think that's why I fell into photo toy photography because it's funny because a lot of the stuff I use, like my tripod, um, a lot of the techniques with lighting, all that stuff, I just that stuff I had from back in you know back in my uh, video filmmaking days, and I, I you know when when I pull out my tripod and stuff like that, they just like oh it's like that's that's a heavy duty one. It's like yeah, I mean it's like, it's like, I mean it's it's what I used back in the day for for filmmaking, but now I'm just you know using it for my. Uh, my you know actually my, it's my wife's camera but yeah it's it's uh my digital camera now to take these photos so it's just um it's uh yeah you just just make it you make you you make do with what you can so yeah now if you're looking more of the technical side uh with the lighting and cameras so were you i guess you were not just interested in being a director but a director of photography a cinematographer yeah i mean it's kind of like I, it was like whatever came first so it's like if I, if I had a chance to direct something, because I was also into writing as well, it's just like almost was like that Rob Rodriguez kind of like jack of all trades. You know, it's like yeah. if, I, if I'm good at either one of those, maybe one of those will hit, <laughs> you know, I'll get, you know, I, maybe a screenplay I write will, will take off or someone will hire me for director photography or I just go out and just direct my own stuff. So, you know, that director, I think his name is um, Dennis. I might be butchering it. It's Villeneuve, but he did uh, Blade Runner 2049. He did Dune recently, the, the, the Sicario series. He's one that directs, and I think he's involved with the director of photography and cinematography. And boy, is that gorgeous. Oh, oh yeah. I can really tell when it's a Villeneuve film. But I can see that um, interest leading you to a hobby like this. You said you only started in February, but it doesn't look like you only started in February. I remember looking back and seeing your first image, which was, I think it was a Mortal Kombat image. And there was uh, Sub-Zero, my favorite, by the way, yep. and uh, Scorpion. And uh, and it really looked good from the lighting to the backgrounds. And I don't know, I was pretty impressed. So I think you started already ahead and out of the gate versus someone really jumping in for the first time so i guess that filmmaking work helped you start at a later point yeah yeah i i, I mean i appreciate that i mean because i look back at some of those early photos i'm just like oh my gosh it's like that's <laughs> like i just like, like that, oh yeah oh yeah yeah i'm i'm um and that's what's so great about the toy photography community is like i've, I've kind of gotten to know a lot of people through instagram and stuff like that and, and chat with them and different groups and whatnot and everybody's real supportive and everybody says the same thing it's like oh man you should have seen my photos when i first started they look i mean just a harsh light on top like you know just a lamp light that i used for you know on my desk and just like showed it right there and took a picture and that was it and it was like and it was on my phone too that's that's the other thing and then my wife's like well you know i have a digital camera you can just use that and so i was like okay and then um and then yeah gradually i just started kind of just learning about you know different dark you know learn about dioramas learning about this and that you know and just getting 
lights where I could and just taking those same concepts of lighting a studio, like, you know, just like you would, you know, a studio or a set and just doing it on a smaller scale, 112 scale. And just now you have these figures. Now you have like, you know, this He-Man here, just like being able to light them. It's just, for me, it's a lot easier than <laughs> having a light, you know, live action. So it just... Yep. You know, um, the executive producer of uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, Ted Biaselli, he does toy photography and he has an Instagram page. And, um, but just generally speaking, not just his, but yours and so many good creatives out there. It's cool that a toy photographer can sometimes take shots of their action figures that are so amazingly spectacular and epic. It looks like they came right out of a blockbuster movie. You know, and those are usually thrilling to look at. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's just, I mean, and sometimes it's just, it's, it's just trial and error. That's why I tell anybody that tries to get into this hobby and they, they want to give up or they have their frustrate with their, it's, you know, this or that. And I just tell them just like, all you have to do is just keep, I mean, just, it's just trial and error. It's just, yeah. just keep shooting, you know, change the light here, change your exposure here, do this, do that on your camera settings, whatever it is. And then. Eventually, I mean, you'll you'll get the hang of it, and I know sometimes I, I'll get frustrated. Um, I'll I'll set up, I'll, I'll have an idea in mind, and I'll sit there, I'll, I'll get everything set up, and then after looking through the photos, I'm like, man, it's just not, it's not clicking. It's not. I don't, I don't. None, none of this is is flowing for me. And then I'll sit down, and this actually happened the other day. I'll sit down, I'll look over, and kind of just cock my head a certain way, and I say, wait a minute, if I, I move that light here, if I move the camera here. That might be the angle and then i'll do it and then it comes out and it's like okay that's it <laughs> i'm done and then it just i'll take the shot and then just start doing some post editing with it and then that's that's you know that's all she wrote you know what i've always been curious about and maybe you know or maybe you haven't experienced it yet but is there a standard conduct of toy photography and and what i mean is um well, I see a lot of digital editing in toy photography and you know, how much is too much? Is there too much? Meaning at least in your eyes, is this hobby, does it get to a point where a toy photo has been digitally altered with special effects, modified facial features and emotions, and perhaps digital backgrounds so much that it's no longer considered real toy photography? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really think so. Um, I, I've had this discussion with other people as well, and it's just so, some may, you know, and some of them don't even do dark photography. They'll just criticize it and say that, oh, that's just, you know, that's just too much Photoshop and this and that. But to me, it like that's a lot of times that that's even press really impressive because Photoshop or any of these editing post editing tools, they're a beast, and to master those, I mean, it's it's uh, achievement within itself. But I think. I mean, it, the way we all look at it is, it's just an art. I mean, I don't think there's any way you, you really, it's hard to just criticize art. And if somebody wants to go in there and really digitize and really put a lot of post work on a picture, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, that's just, that's just too much Photoshop or this and that. It's like, no, I mean, I'm just going to say, well, that's, you know, you put a lot of effort into that because I know, I know what it takes to go into just putting, working within those applications and how much hard work it is. And so, yeah, I just, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put somebody down for doing that. I mean, for me, I try and capture as much in camera as possible, but I know there's always going to be stuff like, I mean, 
you know, with fire and this and that, I know there's a lot of people that do great photos with, with real, real special effects, with real fire, real, real smoke. But if you don't, if you just not, don't have those, you know, if you don't have the capability of doing that, or you just, you know, you're not in the you know spot to do that. Well, I mean, it's like, well, that's where, you know, post editing and, and stuff like that is your friend. You just make it work for you. You know, you, you do what you need to do to make sure you get the image that you want, because I get the sense it's similar to movies and how people say, well, well CGI, you know, it's too much CGI movies or, you know, special effects have gone away from like before there was like actual blood squibs. Now there's blood CGI. It's like, yeah, you can, I see that. But I mean, it's like it, it there's, there's a happy medium within there. You know, it's, it's always, you know, you can't really have one without the other. It's kind of just at this point, it's nice to just have, you know, a combination of both. Yeah. Is digitally articulating an action figure a bad form? Meaning if someone took an action figure that can't kick that high, but after some digitally cutting and pasting, now it kicks that high? Is no. there any of that frowned upon? No, I've never seen it. Um, I know recently I started making some of my photos. Like one of the biggest ones I got was uh, like when I can make them smile. And that's just using face apps that are out there available. And uh, nobody, I mean, everybody's just, everybody gets a kick out of that. Cause again, it's just obviously the, the figure's face is what it is. You can't really, you know, un unless you digitally alter it. And that's what's so great about having these tools now, you can do that. I think having, a, you know, you know, somebody kicking high and stuff like that, or, or having like, you know, an arm, you know, doing something, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I know some people are able to get those shots with like using fishing wire and doing all kinds of different, you know, ways, but. I mean, if you just, you know, if you just can't get to that point, then, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. If you just want to, you know, use the route of, of, uh, you know, digitally, you know, altering it. Right. This was the stuff I was always curious about since I don't dabble in it at all. And there used to be actual controversies with regular photography. Um, right. if you would do photographs for national geographic or something like that, that, um, uh, certain photographers that have a more traditionalist view would be upset if you're manipulating the sky to make the sunset look that much more brilliant oh, or, you know, or, um, a, any sort any sort of color saturation or anything like that. So I was just curious if that happened in the, uh, the toy photography, uh, community as well. So, so do you have any, uh, before we wrap up the toys, uh, do you have any particular shots? um that you have taken that is your favorite or one you could just call out uh one is uh i do have the one that's pinned of skeleton on my on my instagram page the one of skeletor and uh, he-man um that was for yeah. a uh, a challenge contest and it got it got you know quite a few reviews or uh, uh views and likes and stuff so it got it got some pretty no uh you know notoriety um but overall, I just, I mean, it's, it's just hard to, hard to tell. It's just, um, it's like more and more, it's like, I'm thinking like, oh, what's, I think this next shot's going to be pretty nice. And then I'll start planning for it or I'll kind of sketch it out or kind of just work it in my head what, how I want to do. It's just like, like today, I mean, I was watching the, uh, the episode and I'm thinking like, oh man, I got it. I got to do a shot similar to how Hero was doing it, you know, today with the two swords and kind of just, I kind of figure out how I need to light it and everything. So it's just yeah at this point uh, i think that's probably one of my favorites is the one i have the first one i have pinned on my instagram but yeah i think overall i just i always want to continue to just get better and just kind of you know grow from grow from that so gotcha 
So now it's time we continue our retrospective series of the episodes of Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, today being episode five, The Forge at the Forest of Forever. Now, for anyone in the audience, if this is your first time listening, we will be doing this chronologically, similar to a sporting event broadcast from beginning to end. I will deliver the play-by-play, and then myself and John will stop me at points where we might want to add some commentary. And we must caveat why we are big Motu fans. It's difficult to remember everything. So if we do by chance get something wrong, we apologize in advance. And uh, please don't roast us in the comments. <laughs> Unless you get everything right, John. But sometimes <laughs> I make a mistake. Are you ready to begin, sir? Yep, ready. Okay. So the episode begins with the iconic bursting red lava rocks that we all just adore. And then the camera pulls out of the drawbridge of Castle Grayskull. And then the episode's title appears, The Forge at the Forest of Forever. And we hear the somber tune of Bear McCreary's uh, masterful score. And the episode opens to a pair of hands, Adam's hands, in Preternia, chiseling out a rune in the shape of an O that Orko used to wear on his robe. Immediately reminding us of the great sacrifice the little Trollin made to deliver his friends to safety. So Adam finishes and kneeling beside the symbolic grave and speaking to a no longer with us Orko, uh, Adam sadly says you were loyal. And Tila kneels beside him and lays Orko's scarf beside the tombstone and remarks, you were kind. Then Lynn walks over, kneels, and places her helmet next to the tombstone, and delivered wonderfully by actress Lena Headey, softly says, you were a fool. And to me, this was a masterfully crafted line, and is so interesting because it has the most gut-wrenching impact, and it's not coming from Adam nor Tila, but it's coming from Lynn here. And it almost feels here that in the little time they spent together, uh, Lynn and Orko shared, they really shared on a deeper level more than Orko and his royal palace friends had ever shared. You know, there's this saying I've always loved, and I don't know who originated it, but the saying is true friends don't stab you in the back. They stab you in the front which basically means that true friends will tell you the unpleasant truths. You know, they'll be the ones that are honest with you where other friends will spare your feelings. And I, I know that might be controversial to say in the context of Orko's relationship with Adam and Tila versus Lynn. And I do believe, I do believe that Orko and Adam and Tila were true friends. But it just feels in regards to Orko and Lynn that their kingship with magic and their childhood trauma made possible a different connection here that Orko with Tila or Adam perhaps could never make. And the result to me, at least, is a line and a moment that just is wonderfully uh, hum hum humanly complex to ponder. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, did you, when you saw this at the beginning, did you really think that Orko was gone or did you have, I mean, were you, or were you wondering if he's going to come back? Oh, I never thought he would be gone for good, you know, as, as this is, this was masters of the universe and uh, there's magic, you know, and uh, I always thought Orko would return at some point, maybe not in this part one, but maybe in part two. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't certain for sure. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, he's got to come back. He's, I mean, there's just no way. And I know there's controversy around that, but Orko growing up, he was just, he was one of my favorites as well. Maybe probably number two, as far as a uh, favorite character. Cause yeah, he just, you know, him and Cringer were just like, yeah, I just, I was like, when, when the show, when they first announced it, when it was, when it was first being hyped up, like, and you've seen the trailers, you've seen all the all the promotions and everything. It's like if something happens to Cringer and Orko, I don't know if I'm gonna like this. That's <laughs> like, but when with Orko, the way the previous episode had ended, I'm thinking like he's he's probably gonna come back. And I was reading stuff online about well, he's probably gonna do like the whole Gandalf thing, you know, come back as Orko with a white. I was, well, I don't know about that. I'm sure he's he'll. I don't know about that. I'm sure he'll he'll come back. But then eventually, like oh, that, you know. But yeah, I just, I, I was hoping, you know, I had a feeling he was going to come back, but then I was like, oh, but maybe they'll get rid of Cringer. <laughs> and so I was like, I was on the edge of my seat throughout the, you know, the rest of the, the show. But yeah, this, I, I kind of had a feeling, yeah, Orko is going to come back in some form or fashion, you know, later on, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the series. Yeah. In the previous episode, Orko definitely had that G- Gandalf uh, fly, you fools moment, yeah. you know, after uh, defeating the Balrog. And um, yeah, I always had that feeling that can- he would come back, but it never lessened the impact of losing him. I, I would I would equate it to I would equate it to Avengers: The Infinity War, where after I'm sure you've seen that movie, right? Where after Thanos does his snap, um, half of the heroes die, and yeah. you know there's another movie coming, and you know all these stars, including Spider-Man, because he had another solo movie coming out. <laughs> That they weren't going to be dead for good, but um, it was it was done in such a way that even though the back of your mind said that a lot of these heroes would be coming back to life, it wasn't less impactful. And I think it was a credit to the um, the series makers here because when Orko died in the previous episode, boy, did it hit home, oh, you yeah. know. And it's still hitting home here. And I think, I think at least to me. Tila's, uh, excuse me, Evil Lynn, or just Lynn's, basically, mm-hmm. wor- words, makes it hit home the most. So, and and one more thing about You Were a Fool line. I want to, uh, well, I'd be remiss not to mention that the writer of this this episode, Erica, Erica Carusco, uh, revealed that this, this line was not actually written by him, but rather fellow writer Tim Sheridan. So great job, Tim. So, so Adam lifts his head and looks out to the forest and asks seemingly towards no one, can you give him a little piece of home? Then suddenly out of the forest comes this swirling, magical, small gust of wind that envelops the ground where Orko's tombstone sits, sprouting comforts from home, right? Fauna from Orko's homeworld Trala. And then the magical breeze uh, dissipates and Tila asks... Adam, Praternia can do that? And Adam smiles and replies, the forest is a friend. And then Adam looks up to the trees once more and says, 
Thanks, Mossman. Revealing that kind of like what you're saying about Orko, that Mossman actually lives and now he embodies the Praternian force now. And it's a great moment for anyone who actually thought Mossman might be gone for good after he's burned to a crisp by Skeletor. <laughs> so Tila and Lynn uh, leave the gravesite, but Adam remains. And Beastman asks Roboto, you know, how long is Adam going to stay there like that? To stay and mourn, basically. Which is interesting because it seems like Beastman is unable to feel empathy towards someone mourning. So I was thinking maybe it's uncommon in his culture uh, to mourn, but Roboto does his best to explain to Beastman that Adam received some difficult data and it'll take some time to process emotionally, one would imagine. And stressing to the audience again, which will be important later, that Roboto can't feel emotions yet. <laughs> Underline yet. <laughs> so I, I do find it interesting with uh, with Beastman though, because it's like it seems like he had, you know, if something were to happen to Lynn, like in the previous episode or even in the future, it's like he does have some some connection or he does have a strong link to her and you know some sort of either protectiveness however that is i don't know if it's either you know a significant other or a sibling but he does have some sort of like i need to you know this is somebody that i care for and i want to protect i mean because he was just going absolutely just crazy when they got separated in the uh in the netherworld and it's just you know that i, I remember seeing you know seeing that and just like you know yeah, it's like that's an evil thing. Yeah, that's what the bad guys would say because they have no empathy. They have no, you know, no love for one another. So, yeah, it's, but then I'm thinking like, well, he has shown that he does have compassion, but it's just for Lynn. But he, does, he has shown where those cracks are breaking, where he does care for at least one person. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had uh, speculated, and it's just total speculation, that he seems to gravitate to the nearest, strongest female. And um, when in the previous episode during Subternia, when um, Evelyn and Beastman were separated, it's next thing he was lis listening to Andra yeah. and pretty much taking her orders. And, you know, I speculated that... Um, you know, we've seen those, the, the, I think, the Beast Woman for the first time in that Master First figure packaging and um, on the back of the packaging. And I just have this 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 idea in my head that the um, the females in Beastman culture are, are, are the leaders and the ones that uh, the males follow, you know, the queens. Right. And um, I don't know. So I just got this impression. But you're right. I do think. If he's going to mourn for anyone, it's going to be for his his queen, you know, queen. evil evil Lynn. So I would agree. But here he doesn't seem to relate. So who knows? So so suddenly um, Lynn starts hearing whispering voices coming from her wand, uh, saying to save magic, save Eternia. The sword of power must be reforged. There's still time. The ember will save the universe. And in response to these otherworldly voices, Lynn hears, she tells her fellowship party that don't need to get home now. And Adam walks over and says, if you want the sword, it's yours, and reveals he's wearing the other half of the power sword. And Adam hands it to Tila and says, you can ask the mighty hero himself to help you reforge it. And uh, to this saying, you know, Andra fangirls out and responds, whoa, you know, heroes up here too. And uh, 
And Adam replies to Andra, yeah, for all eternity, just like you now. And Adam explains that the door of Praternia only opens in, in one direction. And uh, they should think of Praternia as a walled garden. And they were only able to enter because Saturnia shares one of those walls. So they're trapped there in heaven. But Adam thinks he has an idea how to get them out. And he says he will need Tila's help. So Tila hands the half of the power sword to Roboto and tells him to reforge the sword. And Roboto says, as you wish, sister. And as Tila and Adam go walk off together alone, uh, Andres says to Tila, good luck, T." which kind of at least stresses to me, you know, the romantic feelings that Tila has for Adam with uh, which both her and Andra seemingly must have shared, you know, private conversations about. Yeah. Yeah. So we see this great shot of Praternia in the sunset with uh, the three towers and the monorail. And it looks like in the sky that um, there are three turbo dactyls flying off in the sky um which is a nod to the old praternia vintage toys where pterodactyl dinosaurs had jetpacks and i think uh hero was the one that rided these things so that was pretty cool to see yeah and i you know i think we had talked about this on instagram but yeah i um I see seeing that, seeing the the big wide shot of Returnia, I'm thinking like, oh man, I wish I I wish I had gone the crowdfunder Returnia. It looks so awesome. I just like, man, I was just kicking myself, but yeah, I just oh. that was that was a great shot. Oh, I remember you were on the fence about that, so you yeah. you you definitely didn't pull the trigger. Then. No, no, I just uh... yeah, space being an issue, but yeah, just I mean, just because yeah, I just. If I had kids, and yeah, it would be, you know, I could use that as more justification, but it just, no, I just, I can't, I couldn't really justify it. But now, now I know, yeah, it's just like, ah, I wish, wish I had. Yeah. Actually, I guess, why not? A little behind the scenes, guys. Um, uh, the way John and I, I guess, really met, um, well, I, you know, before we actually even started talking, I think John followed my Instagram page and then I saw his page. I'm like, oh, these are cool. Um, he does toy photography. So I followed him back and then, and then, so I, I knew the name, the Emerald Knight. And, um, then when I was watching the crowdfunding video that Mattel put out for the Eternia vintage playset or the, the remake of the playset, um, someone had asked a question regarding how does Masterverse figures size with the, the new Eternia set. And it said, you know, the Emerald Knight. I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> you know, I know that guy on Instagram. And then so I reached out to him and I'm like, was that you? And he's like, yeah, that was me. And, you know, and we've been chatting off and on ever since. So, uh, but, uh, oh, I feel bad you didn't pull the trigger because I had a feeling there were going to be a lot of people regretting that, especially once it's out, you know? Yeah. 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 Once you start seeing pictures and then, People are doing, you know, toy photography with it. And that's, I try to say, well, you know, if it's within scale, I can do photography, but it's just like, that, that thing is massive. I've seen a lot of scale, you know, like pictures and stuff like that. And just that thing is like, I think it's like three feet tall and like four feet wide or something. It's just like, it's pretty, pretty massive. And I just, and when at the same time, the Mondo Battle Cat had already had dropped as well. The yeah. 112, the one six scale Battle Cat, that thing's huge, but I had already gotten, I had already, pre-ordered the deluxe e-man it's like well 
I know exactly where I'm going to put those two. So it's like that's – if I had to choose one, it's like I'm going to take the Battle Cat. It's just, I mean, seeing yeah. seeing those two and taking the photos because I do follow um, the photographer who took those photos from Mondo, and he does, amazing, yeah. he does an amazing uh -huh. job. And it's like I really want – that's like inspiration. Like I, once I get those, I want to do something – you know, just – yeah, it's like you can take photography with one six scale, and I want to try that kind of branch more into that. And both the Balkan and the He Man just look amazing. So that's something. If I had to choose one or the other, it's like, well, I chose I chose Mondo, but that's uh, that was if Mondo hadn't debuted, then I probably would have gotten the uh, Eternia. But you had to choose one or the other. You can't have both. So. Yeah, it was rough. There was a lot of expensive things that came oh, yeah. out all at the same time. And uh, and I was looking at the size of uh, Eternia 2 and wondering if that was a practical purchase. And it was four feet wide and three foot high. But it sold me. Um, once I learned it was um, scalable with Masterverse figures, it sold me because it was only two feet deep, which yeah. isn't a deep table, you know. And um it could be like a little bar table and then you could also remove the towers so you yeah. could separate the towers in the monorail system and you could put one here one there and one there and uh so that's really what sold me on it um unlike you we flip-flopped i passed on the battle cap because i invested in uh eternia but i will not be passing on the mondo um mondo um panther Pandora. Yeah, because you know, over here I got the Revelation Skeletor, yeah. and I'm like, he looks so nice with that, you know. Oh, yeah. so. That's gonna look awesome. But yeah, I mean, with I mean to wrap, I guess wrap up on Preternia and Eternia, just that's something I yeah, that was a uh uh holy grail, if you will. Will I mean I remember as a kid getting the like two of the towers at a garage sale or, or a flea barter or something like that. And this was like around 80, 89, wow. 90, whatever, but I mean, they were just, you know, junk, you know, in a junk heap. I think, I think it was the Grayskull, Grayskull Tower and then the, uh, the Snake, Snake, Snake Tower. Didn't get the, uh, the Lion, the, the middle one, but I just had those two and I would just take the Grayskull Tower and kind of just pair it with my Castle Grayskull. But yeah, I just, I remember seeing that commercial, you know, in 86 when it, when it debuted. And I remember just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And, and, I mean, it's just the way it's lit and kind of, again, kind of going back to the photography background, seeing how these commercials were were made and these, you know, miniature dioramas and the smoke and the lighting and just made this, this you know, this little play set. I mean, this little toy just looked yeah. like, you know, epic and just immersive. And and I begged, I begged my parents to get, you know, can I have a cat for Christmas? And they're like, no, 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 you can't have that. So I never got that. I never got Snake Mountain. Uh, my brother had Castle Grey School and that just passed down to me, but I did have the, um, uh, the Fright Zone and the uh the slime pit so hopefully we'll see some more of those in the and you know maybe some some you know version of those in the uh in the yeah. uh, in the series later on so and just a note about the attorney playset in regards to this retrospective and i think we mentioned in the last retrospective but this is the first time uh, Paternia, otherwise known as this Eternia playset, was ever realized in a animated Motu series. So it's finally in this episode was so cool to see it here as Eternia's version of Heaven of yeah. Val Valhalla. So, and um, and we actually have it for anyone watching this podcast on YouTube. You could barely see it, but you can see the central tower right between us. So, <laughs> so and apparently uh, Praternia will be returning. So um, Rob David gave us a little spoiler alert during that crowdfunding campaign that um, 
Masters of the Universe Revelation is not the last time we've seen Paternia and the Three Towers. So, which is going to make John even feel more terrible <laughs> that he didn't buy that set. So, all right. So continue. So Adam and Tila are walking down the path and no one is talking. And there's this uncomfortable silence between them. And Adam finally breaks the silence and stops and asks Tila, we going to talk about it. And Tila pretends ignorance and replies, talk about what? And Adam asks, why did Tila and her companions come to Paternia? And why does she need the sword? And Tila finds it an opportune moment to give Adam a reflective jab and says, you're not going to begrudge me of a secret, are you, He-Man? And uh, as an audience, we can feel that Tila is finally going to be able to vent some of the frustration that has been pent up inside. And, uh, and Adam says to Tila, look, I didn't want you to find out that way. Uh, but Tila rightly counters, you didn't want me to find out at all. And it's a good point. And uh, Tila decides just to shut down the conversation and tells Adam to reveal his plan. And Adam points to Grayskull Tower and says, if there's a way to Eternia, it will be there. And Tila inquires, why are they hiking away from the tower if the answer lies within? And Adam explains that they have to go see the big guy himself, the mythical man from the poems, King Grayskull. And it'll be easy to find him today because today, Adam explains, is the wild hunt. And I found this cool because in just like in ancient mythology, where souls of the dead would hunt like mythological creatures, according to folklore, European folklore, um, that this also occurs in Paternia. So I, I, I rather thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah, it was um, pr pretty awesome. And when the uh, when the actual, uh, I guess, I guess, Panther pre pre Eternia Panther came out. I, for some reason, I thought that was Panther. I was like, oh, is that is that their version of Panther? I was like, okay, <laughs> there's there's, a, there's an official name for it. It's called a saber tooth dilynx. Yeah, and I guess like lynx is a cat name. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, so. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was large and purple, but it had um, these sharp saber-tooth fangs and um, a much more scruffier mane and I think a wad of fur on its back tail, but it was definitely really cool looking. So. Oh, yeah. And um, and that's that's where Tila and Adam's first encounter with this wild hunt. You know, they have to duck and it jumps over those two. And then it's pursued by a crowd on various modes of transportation and to cut to uh to catch up with the pack adam pulls out two small <laughs> discs that expand to two floating discs that both adam and tila can ride and the crafty writer of this episode eric carusco um has adam say remember these which is just not not just an indicator that both adam and tila had experience riding these discs before but it's also a meta-like nod to the audience asking us if we if we remember those crazy flying discs that He-Man and the others rode in that 1987 live-action film, uh, Masters of the Universe. Yeah, that. <laughs> well, actually, it's 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 um, both uh, 
1987 He-Man, and then also the 2000X, which was actually, you know, I guess it would just be a homage to 87. Um, yeah, that, that, that was, that, that hit at the heartstrings. It's like, yo, yeah, you got to bring those, those discs back. Cause as bad as the effects were in the film, I mean, it's like, that's, I, I love that movie. Like I, I watch it yeah. at least, I watch it at least maybe definitely once a year, usually during the summertime, but definitely at least, you know, a couple of times, um, throughout the year. It's like, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not the greatest, but it has its moments. I mean, th there is a good film somewhere within there you know it needs a little bit of polish it needs a little this and that you know but there there is a good film to be had in there i mean franklin jella skeletor was amazing i mean yeah. he just he acted i mean his i mean he was just amazing in that film but seeing yeah seeing the discs come out it just like yeah i know exactly where this where they're going with this and nice little nice little wink you know and and you know you know even though it's but tongue in cheek, if you will, but it's just, yeah, it was, it was great to see the, uh, the fine disc make a return. Yeah. And it just makes you smile, you know, and, um, I was reading about it, I think in the art book and, um, and they were aware that the 2000 X series did it, but that also was a nod to the 1987 yeah. film. And so this was really just nodding that film and they have a few nods, uh, to the film in this entire series. Um, but uh, you're right. Um, I think now, even though, you know, at the time for a lot of fans, the original 1987 Masters of the Universe film might have angered us because there's no Cringer, no Battle Cat, no Prince Adam, no transformation, you know, and, it, and so much of the movie took place on Earth. You know, with Courtney Cox, no offense to Courtney Cox, but, you know, we wanted to be on Eternia, you know, and um, but since then, it is just it's just we consider it a, a different interpretation and yep. uh, it's, it, it warms so many of our hearts. Not every Motu fan um, uh, ended up appreciating that film, but so many of us did. And, and that reception and that appreciation is evident by Dolph Lundgren being uh, who played He-Man in that film being invited to all these 40th anniversaries and the crowd just going wild, you know, yep. and he's our He-Man until we one day get a live action film. And you know what? I'll believe that when I'm sitting in the theater <laughs> and the title appears and the credits appear, but, uh, or, uh, in front of Netflix, if that ever happens, but, um, but he's our He-Man. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, I that was my that was probably my first theater going experience, and I remember being so excited for that film. And I was probably like six or seven years old, but that was just I remember just I could not wait to get to the theater and watch that. And I remember I remember at the beginning, it just it came on, and I was ex excited. And there were points of it where I was kind of like, well, I don't see Orko, but there's Gro this guy Grodor, so I guess he's supposed to be like Orko. And there's that Triclops, but this guy blade he has one eye so maybe he, he's supposed to be triclops <laughs> it's like i mean you you make you make um you know modifications or you just you know you, you just go with the flow even the earth stuff i'm thinking like okay well it, to me my brain's thinking already like even at that young of an age they have to make you know adjustments based on you know money <laughs> like I, I like i know there's they're doing this they're at this you know fast food chicken place because they just can't afford to be you know in that attorney castle or whatever or the castle oh you were a smart kid if you're born in 82 <laughs> you're making those assessments at age five please. Yeah. i mean <laughs> I, I was yeah i i, I kind of already knew something wasn't you know it wasn't all like you know something's not on the up and up here but it's like i just went with i just went with yeah. it because again at that point you're just like uh, you know everything 
you know, I have no concept really of what really is too cheap or what's really, you know, you know, high end quality work. I mean, yeah. you go back and watch the Terminator. I mean, some of the stuff there is just like that head, that puppet head just looks you know, so out of out of whack and just so fake. It's just like, oh, you know, I, I just enjoyed it. And again, there are things there where, you know, if you just need to fix the little things here and there, I think you, it would have, you know, would have turned out even better. And then knowing the history behind it and seeing a lot of the documentaries on on Motu, that Power of the Grayskull um, uh, documentary that came out a couple of years ago and, and seeing and the fact that they really did provide, you know, some, they didn't just like lost over going, oh, this movie was terrible, you know, this and that. No, they actually, they showed like the concept where, I mean, there were, there was genuine creative people behind the film that really wanted to make it work. It's just, you know, Golden Globus, Canon, they just say, hey, you know, it's like, we were going to give you 35 million, but we had to take 17 of it and give it to uh, the Superman Man or Superman Quest for Peace. Because <laughs> they, yeah. you know, it's like, well, we said, you know, th we were going to, and the story behind that was, you know, not to go on too much of a tangent, but, you know, they, they were both promised $35 million for both those films, but then, you know, finances were out of whack for Canon, so they basically had yeah. to take you know split it and you you, you get 35 million but we're going to split it between he-man and superman and go make the movie and it's like we can't make it for that much money but yeah it is what it is it is what it is and the script had problems too and yeah. um but you know before we move on real quick um oh yeah one of um subscribers to fortourney.com twitter or was it instagram i don't know someone mentioned a cool idea that i was like wow that would have been something um, bringing Frank Langella back as Skeletor in Masters of the Universe Revelation. Now, I love Mark Hamill, and I love him in this role, right. but for a second, I was like, whoa, imagine if they did that, you know, because someone said, I wish they brought back Frank Langella, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> that would have been something, because he, you know, he just chews the scenery with his delivery, you know, but so does Mark, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's 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 it could have been doable. I mean, does that yeah. be you know just basically you know lending his voice? But I guess some you know as as actors, whether they're you know live action or voice actors, you know that kind of just um that may, maybe it's just too hard in the vocal cords. Because I mean, we got Alan Oppenheimer yeah. on, but you know his his I don't know how much of his voice for Moss Man was actually just like just yeah his age. I mean, he's got to be you know. He's 91 yeah. or 92, yeah. but no, I think it all of Moss Man was his voice and he's great. And he's in tip top shape. He's like a Betty White, you know, That's and, good. Um, and she died at 99 and he's still doing comic cons. He was at some comic cons this year. So I believe that was totally Moss Man, but he can't really replicate that Skeletor right. voice anymore. Um, yeah. But Frank Lachella is a lot younger. Um, well, wouldn't it be great if they brought him back as Hordak for Masters of the Universe? revolution See, that, that would be something that's yeah that'd be awesome but i'm starting to think just from san diego i'm thinking maybe that's gonna be shatner i was thinking my bet is granamir that william shatner oh, is gonna yeah. come back yeah because kevin smith kind of said kind of almost promised us we're gonna get granamir in the follow-up season um, he had said that in an interview where it was Grandamere and I think it was Mechanek that he really wanted to put okay. in um, Revelation, but had no room for them. But he was like, you know, kind of almost guaranteeing that um, they'll definitely be there in a follow up. So if I can imagine this wise but fierce dragon, I, I just imagine that's William Shattered. Now, you might be right. He might be Hordak, but um, but I, well, I guess we'll find out. So yep. before we we'll go see. to. 
too far off on a tangent. We'll see. So, so we cut to the uh, main tower now, and uh, Andro Roboto and Beastman and Lynn watch as Hero examines the two halves of the power sword. And Bear McCreary's score feels very regal and royal, like medieval music you'd hear in the background of a great banquet. You know, it's the best way I could describe it. So Andra fangirls out some more, asking her companions, um, do you know who this guy is? You know, heroes and attorney and legend. He fought the horde invaders and defended the free people right beside King Grayskull. And hero comically, at least to me, you know, bangs the swords together like it's going to do anything to merge the two halves. But uh, Hero says, you know, his beliefs are challenged as well. And um, he's witnessed many things that defied explanation when he was a breathing man. But the conduit, i.e. power sword, cleaved in twain, he finds inconceivable. So Hero explains that the power sword was forged by Trollin mage smiths thousands of years ago, a story that was a little more fleshed out in that great Revelation uh, prequel comics, uh, including the reveal in this continuity of King Grayskull being Hero's father, as well as the death of Hero's brother Dare was in that comic. Um, but none of that was mentioned in this series. So Roboto tells Hero that he can fire the blades back together, that his heart is a quark collider. Now, for anyone not a uh, physics scholar, including me, I'm going <laughs> to attempt to do my best here. But uh, quarks are um, particles that make up matter, everything around us. You know, our Motu collections you know, uh, behind us, uh, they're made of uh, protons and neutrons. And uh, protons and neutrons consist of quarks. And um, a collider accelerates them fast, I mean, very fast, and can make them smash with other particles, resulting in all kinds of um, effects and outcomes. So Hero compliments Roboto, saying that his ability is very clever, but asks what could contain it. The Forge of Grayskull Tower certainly can't. And then Andra comes up with the brilliant idea to use the central tower as the forge with walls made of Eternium, the uh, most powerful substance known to Eternia, and just turn this whole thing into a forge. And, and I just love that idea and find it clever writing to end up using you know paternia's central tower this way yeah that was that was a, that was a pretty uh pretty neat idea and just the whole uh just the that whole scene in general um seeing hero finally i mean were you were you kind of were you already kind of hip to him or when did you i guess become kind of knowing of, of of hero i was hip to him back with the old Motu history that he was supposed to replace He-Man. Um, but, um, you know, fil filmation continuity was always my love. You know, everyone, like some people love their mini comics. Some people love their, you know, the later DC comics run, the Attorney War. Some people love 2000X, you know, but filmation was my continuity. It was um, 
Skeletor being a demon from another dimension versus, you know, Keldor and, and then, then She-Ra after that. So that was mine. So in my, in my continuity that I love, Hero was never introduced, but I was familiar with him and I was familiar with the other Praternian heroes as well. But uh, these are the ones that I have adopted now into my, my lore, you know, the one that I appreciate. And that's the great thing about Motu is there's just so much yep. that you can pick from that uh, you could even sort of do something like what classics did the toys where they combine like, you know, lots of different lores, you know, into, into one general one. So were you familiar with uh, hero at all? Uh, well, yeah, before uh, like I already knew of him probably it might've been when I kind of was um, my collecting in my teenage years more was like around just, instead of playing with figures, I was now like, I want to, you know, these, Oh, these things have, they're, they're worth money. And, you know, I kind of started doing some, <laughs> me and my dad, we, we would always go to the toy shows and just start collecting just to like, you know, as an investment. But I remember getting like the toy fair magazines wizard and they would always have those, those, uh, those sections in there where they would talk about like lost treasures or the, the, the figures that were never made. And they, they, you know, whether it's, you know, different franchises for like the the Kenner alien figures that never saw the light of day because of, you know, it being R-rated. But then also, you know, I saw where they were supposed to be like this, the powers of Grayskull line. And this was going to be, you know, it's like in between like the end, like the 87 movie and then the new adventures, this was going to be like this next wave, but it just never, it never took off. But seeing this, this gold armored, you know, hero and, I remember just thinking like, wow, I was like, why didn't they come up with that? I definitely would have bought that. <laughs> I mean, I think that would have been a lot better than, you know, New Adventures. I mean, no offense to New Adventures. I mean, I, there is a, you know, I do have a special place for that, but definitely I wish they had, you know, kind of went forward with that Powers of Grayskull uh, line. But to what you said about classics and even like, you know, Super 7, these other companies where you can just like take these mythologies and just tweak them a little bit or, you know, and, or just reimagining them and just put them in there. And now, now you can, now you have, you know, hero and whether it's, you know, like a classics version, like, or even a vintage, you know, vintage with little, little to no articulation or classics, or even now with the masterverse having, you know, a version of hero to, you know, to have. Yeah. You know, um, what I also caught in you just explaining this is that your, your father was into action figures as well. Well, he, as far as collecting, uh, he, he's always, I think it's where I get the collecting as a, you know, from, I mean, he, whether it was for him, it was baseball cards or just he's he's a collector by, you know, just by by trade, I guess you could say, or by heart. That's just like his his quirk. And so once we went to, uh, you know, I started getting into comic books. Um, that was around the time of the, uh, you know, these great, you know, like Death of Superman and, and, and um, uh, you know, the Nightfall series. And I started I was really into comic books and we would go to these comic book stores also had selling these vintage star wars figures and vintage motu figures and they're like my dad's like whoa these you had these when you were a kid and they were like they're worth money now yeah. okay well maybe uh maybe there's something here and then you know we started with vintage and then you know we we get whatever was going on at the time and he, he is and i think secretly he just like he really loved like starting lineup the kenner starting lineup uh action figures the baseball and football basketball and he had a yeah. ton of those and hot wheels i mean he just you know he just he used to buy he has like boxes and boxes of heart like just hot wheels from the 90s all the way to the 2000s and then um yeah it's just something we just did together we go to the toy shows and you know oh, i'd see awesome. him i'd see him wheel and deal you know and we'd have like the 
the different books available to kind of see the value of the figures like oh that's not you know it's not worth that much or what are you what are you trying to do here and so yeah that that's a good memory i have of you know of me and my dad just you know doing that and he gets a kick now just seeing you know me back into action figure collecting because i kind of you know i fell out of it um you know you know for a couple of years and then now it's just like i just i, I now with the figures the way they're made they're, they look amazing it's like it's like it says ages four or ages six and up but it's like come on now it's like you got interchangeable hands interchangeable heads i mean this is really you're trying i mean it's sneaky but they're they're really doing you know they're trying to get the the you know 40 plus or 30 plus year olds and then if they have kids they're trying to get their kids as well it's like well we're gonna have the dad buy one the dad or mom buy one and then they're gonna buy one for the kids so that's two <laughs> when they yeah. go to the store but yeah, I think it's just it's just real awesome, you know, getting back into it, seeing the craftsmanship and the way they look, and he really gets a kick out of it. It's like, man, it's like they didn't look like that back when you know when you were growing up. I mean, they were kind of just cheap and everything. They had these squishy heads and everything. Now it's just like now they're just full on, just like they they look like you know they jumped off the the, uh, the TV. Yeah, yeah. My father, uh, rest his soul, he he couldn't be bothered with that kind of stuff. Mm. So he would no way go to a convention or look at figures or do anything other than bah, you know, and dismiss them. So, mm. so that was cool that you had that relationship with your father. That's pretty cool. Yep. So, so, um, so we cut back to Tila and Adam on those flying discs, chasing the pack of Praternian hunters as they catch up with two of them. One being Vicor riding a sky sled, a character first thought to be based on the uh, early concept art by Mark Taylor for He-Man. But I think later they learned it might just be concept art for Mattel's canceled Conan the Barbarian line, which makes a lot more sense. But um, but I dig digress. And the, the other is Kudak Angul riding what appears to be this wild combination of a dinosaur and perhaps an ostrich. And, you know, it's unnamed, uh, only referred to as Kudak's uh, mount in the powerhouse animation model sheet, but it's very uh, cool looking to me. Okay. I was going to, I was going to ask you if you knew what that was. Cause I was like, I'll, I'll ask him on the show, see if, uh, if he knows what that is. Cause I was like, I don't remember. I don't remember any reference to that. No, no, and you know, and um, and unlike uh, unlike Vicor, uh, we met Kudak in his continuity before, but not with the uh, dinosaur. You know, she was the um, the previous sorceress that came before the current sorceress, which is Tila's mother. And uh, Kudak was featured in the He Man and the Masters of the Universe filmation season two episode um, called Origin of the Sorceress, and she was very um old in that episode and when she passed the um mantle to uh, the sorceress mantle to tilana tila's mother she could speak english at the time but fast forward to praternia and the events of revelation while kudak appears to understand english she doesn't really speak it except for when she says goodbye to flea man you know, at, at the end, but she really only speaks in her native tongue uh, called Kudukesh, which according to the published art book of Masters of the Universe Revelation is a, la is a language that Kudak Angul created 
once that she used to unite the fractured peoples of Eternia. And I'm not quite sure what that means. It didn't elaborate. But um, so does Kudok no longer speak English by choice here? Has she taken some sort of vow, like an evangelic oath in the afterlife? I don't know. You know, this is the, they all picked the best version of themselves on to be on Paternia. And she's much younger a much idealized version. And perhaps that was just her common language at that stage of her life in that era of her life. It's left ambiguous, but uh, for me, at least, I don't know, this kind of stuff is interesting to think about. So. Yeah. I, mean, I, I kind of, I, I do remember her from filmation, but I just didn't know like the, you know, more of the backstory. And then, yeah, to, to your point when, you know, when she was kind of just speaking her native tongue, I was kind of like, oh, okay. That's you know that's how they're doing with that. Again, just however concepts they want to do, or you know if they want to cherry pick certain things, it's like I, I'm I was I'll go with it. It's it's, it's you know it's fine. And to me, seeing Vicor and just knowing I had seen those documentaries before and seeing like you know all the you know the Mark Taylor inspirations and also just originally the idea of He Man and and always thinking and I don't even know where I'd learn this from. I think just just from seeing the figure and seeing Conan around the same time which i should have i mean it was like probably like three or four years old but seeing conan the barbarian uh the first one and just putting two and two together going oh is this supposed i bet you this was supposed to be a conan figure but then they just made it into he-man it just it was just always just like this urban legend and then seeing the documentaries or reading you know books based on it and just kind of like okay well i you know yeah it was supposed to be or they, they really wanted to kind of get mattel really wanted to you know, get ahead of the Star Wars thing because they basically, you know, let let it go <laughs> or or didn't sign up for it. And then it's like, well, yeah, we'll do Conan. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, we can't we can't do this. <laughs> it's like it's, it's it's bloody, gory, there's nudity. It's like, yeah, we can't we can't make action figures out of this. And then they kind of just went to work and kind of just like, well, just make something, just just do something. And the the creative guys, the the great team of the people at 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 uh, Mattel just went in there and just, you know, put some stuff together, you know, they made tank man, they made rocket man. And, you know, they came up with he man. And that was, uh, yeah, I think was, it was bullet man, maybe Bu bullet man. They, yeah, yeah. Bullet man. Yeah. yeah. The, Bo the Boba Fett looking, uh, Boba Fett looking guy. So yeah, with the Conan line, the Mattel definitely did the deal and they sided the, the dotted line, but I think it was when, um, they finally saw, got to see footage or a screening of the 1982 Conan the Barbarian film, like an early screening or early compiled footage without the music and, and so forth. And yeah, that's when they learned there was all this score and all this nudity. There was an orgy scene, yeah. you know, and they're like, we can't do this for kids. And <laughs> the, the sequel, Conan the Destroyer is rated pg and that's a lot more um it has its gore and issues but it's a lot more family friendly but this first one was very serious and and to go back to your appreciation of cinematography by the way that first movie directed by john millius who uh, wrote apocalypse now he wrote um dirty harry he wrote um the the Oh, the well, a scene, a scene in Jaws that everyone uh, remembers. Shaw's like speech about being oh, the uh, Indianapolis, 
Yeah, being yes, yes, he actually wrote that for Steven yep. Spielberg over one night. So it's, it's such an incredible movie and cinematography, the score, and everything. But yeah, it's, it wasn't it wasn't great for kids. So I think I remember Mattel went ahead and um, paid them something like five hundred thousand dollars restitution for not coming through on the deal. And then next thing you know, here comes this blonde he-man like character <laughs> pop up that yeah has nothing to do with conan and i i think conan properties they sued them over that like you're ripping us off and i think mattel won i think it was different enough with the space field goals and the mixture of you know sword and sorcery and sci-fi but uh, you're right it is a very interesting story and and vicor is um in the middle of that you know and um and I think everyone had believed at the time that Vicor was originally concept art for He-Man, but it might have been Battle Battle Ram blog. I'm not sure. Someone had talked to someone, and eventually someone confirmed, no, Vicor, this wasn't concept art for for He-Man, but this was concept art for Conan. And I'm like, ah, that makes sense because yeah. it freaking looks like Conan. So, um, yeah. so there you go. And and it's interesting you mentioned Conan the the, uh, the story of the second one and to me, uh, before the actual Motu uh, for you know the Motu film in eighty seven that was actually my even though I knew it was Conan the story I'm thinking like well if they made a He Man movie that's it right there you know that's like for, I just thought because again it was it was PG and they had you know the sword and sorcery we didn't really have the technology stuff but you had the big you know battle at the end with this this you know creature I just always envisioned like that's just going to be a, a He Man you know movie and i always imagine you know schwarzenegger as he-man battling the uh that uh oh gosh what was the the mirror monster you know the, the scene with all the mirrors and scared the, the wizard yeah the wizard, yeah the wizard and he turns into that monster and just scared the the, the crap out of me and just like <laughs> but I always uh and that's one thing i do just a little more inside my photography i will play the score for both those films when i'm doing something for he-man i just think you know, and to tie back with the uh, the score for Revelation, I think Bear really took a lot of some of those those uh, cues from that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, especially the very beginning, the the main theme, it just really harkens back to Basil uh, Paladuris, Paladuris, yeah, um, the composer for the first He-Man film, and really just I think nailed it. I think you really want to have those the, the the horns and the drums, and I think that that to me that's a He-Man score. That that's sort of uh, like real bombastic, you know loud and just yeah. you know barbarian type of uh, music i think bear and kevin smith were both fans of um, basil's score and i think kevin even brought it up he's like i want something like that you know something yeah. operatic and i believe i remember watching a video and he actually brought up you know conan as a influence and and it works so well it works so well for that film and it works so well here you know and uh, and, and, and even going back to the first commercials for the, uh, the toy line, even though it was, I was like, I was way too young to, to see those. Mine came out, you know, mine were like the, the, I have the power that, yeah. that those commercials, but during the other ones, you know, you have the, he man, he, and like the, the pounding of the drums. I think that's, you know, I think maybe took some inspiration for that, or just like, you always got to have those drums with he man. I think it's just like synonymous and see, you know, seeing the commercials uh, on YouTube, whatever, and then seeing the, revelation show I was like ah oh. it's like it's like they're taking it from conan they're taking it from the commercials i mean they're just pulling from everywhere it's like it's great they're just like they're using all these you know different kinds of inspirations to to put this together yeah yeah i agree it's fantastic and um it's fantastic actually through this uh this hunt too um 
so we so we see Viker and uh, Vikor and Kudok, and they um, friendly but aggressively knock back Adam and Tila's side. And Adam tells Tila the hunt is competitive and it's a contest. And Adam says King Grayskull will be in the front of the pack. And um, so we, the audience, are thrown in this thrill of the hunt. And like you were saying, um, the score is uh, brilliant here. And it's brilliant in this chase. You know, it's an exciting track that sounds like um, it's driven by horns and tribal chants. You hear that in the chase, you know, and and then a whistling wind instrument. And uh, it's just so thrilling here. And it elevates the visuals that are already exciting on their own merits. Yeah. And I, I, that's, yeah. I mean, the show in itself just looks amazing. The animation. And I think that's where some people were, were, you know, complaining as far as like, going back you know to the beginning you know first episode and wishing these characters look like they do in their classic forms just for a little bit more than just one episode but for me i just like i, I was going to appreciate it no matter what i think just to have you know motu and and you know this this verse any any version really but to kind of keep it in this you know timeline of filmation regardless of yeah the characters they go through changes you know they I think it's like, was it five years or a couple of years after the, uh, the event with the, the power sword? Yes. Several years. Yeah. And so for me, it was just, yeah, I, I, that never bothered me. The fact that they just like a little, little, little quick, little, you know, snippet of the characters as we normally would know them from whether it's filmation or just from the toy line. And now they're, you know, they're in these different looks basically. Yeah. Um, that never bothered, but it just, yeah, seeing the the way the animation style is, and it kind of parts of it because does resemble some of the uh, 2000X Mike Young show a little bit. It seems like they took a little bit of inspiration, especially during this this uh, this hunt scene. Um, had a little bit a little, little bit of that an anime feel that the uh, 2000X kind of delivered back in the day. Yeah, yeah, and it's really a. Um... I think they really pulled from a lot of sources, you know, um, they used, they, this was a continuation of the filmation series. Um, and Ted Biaselli had indicated that all the episodes in the filmation series counts, less a few uh, creative liberties they took. And he detailed a few of those, but um, other than that, um, they pulled from other lore, you know, to fill in gaps, you know, like King Grayskull wasn't, wasn't, um, in this particular continuity. So they put in their version of King Grayskull. And even though um, Subternia meant something else, say in the 2000X series, it never existed in the filmation series. So Subternia became the hell of, of, of this particular continuity. So they pulled and modified um, where they felt they could um, improve. And um, no, I thought they did a spectacular job. So it was either pulling from a lot of sources and or giving nods to a lot of um, sources and continuities, not just the 1987 film. So, but, um, so the music was great. And, uh, Adam on his flying disc gains on, uh, Kudak. And, uh, so she has her mount bite Adam's disc and chuck them both in the air, but it's Tila to the rescue. You know, she swoops in bouncing her, Flying disc on Vicor's uh, sky sled, sending him spinning and grabs Adam's hand, spinning him around and directing Adam's flying disc jets at Kudak and her mount. And she feels the heat and uh, she backs off. And Adam and Tila then fist bump and start moving up the pack. And 
They passed three more heroes on Sky Sleds. I don't believe they have names or have been fleshed out. In the art book, they're just referred to as Praternian heroes. And I didn't recognize them. So just more undescript Eternian heroes, I guess, awarded with Praternian afterlife for time served. That's just the way I take them. And... And then next, Tila and Adam ride up on Wondar, riding his dinosaur mount. A character that is an homage to the odd repainted figure of He-Man that appeared way back in 1981. Uh, that was a promotional figure that you could get through the mail that was believed, I think at least at the time, to be tied to the, uh, the bread brand uh, Wonder Bread uh, here in the U.S., hence the name uh, Wondar. Now, was that uh, so? I've read different things on the whole Wondar uh, story. Um, one saying, like, you know, just that, that it was a promotional item uh, and for, you know, that you could get through Wonder Bread. And when you got it, it was a, you know, brown haired um, He Man. But now, and then I've also read things. It's, it's almost like the, the rocket shooting Boba Fett. You know, it's like these urban legends, like, oh, yeah, I had that. And, and, you know, I was I was disappointed that it was this you know brown haired he man. It wasn't blonde, and some people have said like, no, it never made to production, and never saw the light of day. It was just you know we didn't even have a Wonder Bread ad or anything like that. So I've always read different things, and I don't think I've ever you know at least I've never seen any kind of like confirmation one way or the other. Yes, there was a promotion out there. Wonder does exist in you know some fashion back in eighty in the eighties, or no, that was never that was never a uh, a thing. I believe there was a lot of investigation done um, by different fans, and I think they were able to unlink it with Wonder Bread, per se. And it was some sort of mail-in, like if you bought three figures, you could mail in and get this now Wondar figure, but uh, but I'm not sure. You know, I'm just taking the word of people on the internet, but it's, it's become such a a urban legend now, yeah. you know, that it's... Be, and, and what's great is they take this stuff, you know, you... Um, you think like, um, well, you know, the Incredible Hulk, if you know his history, the the first comic ever created for the Incredible Hulk, the, the Hulk's color was gray. Yeah. And that was supposed to be his color, but the printing press kept, uh, every page, the, the Hulk looked inconsistent, different shades of gray. And the printers at that time really couldn't handle that color. So by uh, issue two, Stan Lee had Hulk's color changed to green. But what they marvelously did later is implement the gray hulk into the lore yep and even though it was a printing error it's become now established canon for um a particular transformation of bruce banner and and here they you know mattel or the people behind this uh rob david or i'm not sure when windar was first introduced but uh, maybe in the classics oh, i'm not sure but either you think so I th yeah, I th I, from what I've read, I think he was. And then, uh, well, now Origins is doing their own, uh, uh, you know, small scale, yeah. you know, one dark. I think I did. I think actually I did pre-order him. No, I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what. It's like, it's it was like the second go around. Because, yeah, with the whole, not to go off too much on the whole Mattel creation, like the, you know, the snafus that they've been having, you know, but as far as pre-ordering. But I think he was, he was available on a second go around. I was like, yeah. I'll get him. I'll get him just because. Just for that, you know, nostalgia, you know, you know, piece, just to have like a, a Wondar figure in that, in that, in that, in that version, just the small, you know, you know, Motu uh, vintage origins. 
Well, I'm holding hope for um, them to come out with a Masterverse version yeah. of not just uh, Wundar, but um, Vicor and Kudok as well. Because it'd be great to have, you know, the whole Praternian Champions line that we could just put in front of, oh, sorry, I could put in front of my <laughs> attorney set. <laughs> wow. And it would, it would make quite a display. So, um, oh, so, that hurts. That hurts. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean as it came out, I, I forgot. So, but I mean, regardless, regardless of that set, it'd be great to have all those mm -hmm. heroes, you know? So I really hope they uh, come out. I mean, it'd be really great if we could get those dinosaur cybernetic mounts as well. And, um, but uh, that might be a bridge too far. So we'll have to stay. Yeah, you never know. And was that, because um, I guess we're about to get into uh, introducing the king himself, um, King Grayskull. Um, was there, I'm trying to remember, because I think there was, there were going to introduce, introduce dinosaurs at one point. It was like towards the tail yeah. end of the uh, the line, along with the, uh, I guess the giants or the, uh, mm -hmm. like that. It, and what, King Grayskull was riding was the uh, Bionotops, Bionotops, and that was a legitimate toy that was released, the cybernetic yeah. green Triceratops. And the dinosaurs we had mentioned in the beginning, the Turbodactyls, the Pterodactyls mm -hmm. flying in the sky, those were released as well. So a few dinosaurs released, and then some of the uh, Praternia dinosaurs never made it to... Um, to their manufacturing run. So I don't think, I definitely know that uh, Kudak Ungol's dinosaur isn't real or it wasn't realized that it was a new creation. And uh, Wondar, I don't think his dinosaur was ever a vintage toy either. So it was only the Turbodactyls in the sky and then finally the Bionotops that um, King Grayskull's riding here. So, which is very cool, but I do love that they're all cybernetic, you know, yeah. it's, it's a really interesting facet. I mean, you have a pterodactyl with jets, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds crazy when you say it out loud, but for some reason it's just so cool. Yeah. So. I mean, and that, I mean, that to me, that that was work with Motu. I think that was a, that was the perfect, I mean, marriage, if you will, as yeah. far as having the sword and sorcery and, and just barbaric and just, Kind of just cave, almost caveman-like atmosphere, and then you have blasters, you have jets, you have all this, you know, technology. It's like, yeah, we're mixing, you know, Conan, but then also mixing Star Wars, which were, you know, Star Wars was like huge at the time. It's like, yeah, let's just put those together, and now you got peanut butter and jelly. At least for me, it was. It was just like perfect. I mean, perfect combination of having, yeah, sword and sorcery, having this this buff guy with this battle axe, but then also he can pull out a pistol or blaster, and you know, at the same time, it feels like it shouldn't have worked. You know, yeah, I mean. You know, in, in the real world, do you really need a sword when or a battle axe when someone could just shoot you from a distance, you know, with a laser gun? But uh, and do you need to be wearing a loincloth? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but for some reason it works and it just warms my heart, this mix of technology and uh, this whole world. I mean, but the whole, you know, um, without us just going off into a tangent, the whole line shouldn't have worked. They were just throwing everything but the kitchen sink, you know, oh, yeah. regarding all the characters and stuff. But somehow somehow it works and uh i don't think it ever could again and uh i don't know there was something just magical with the line so yep like lightning in a bottle yep so wondar narrowly turns uh to avoid falling off a cliff but it's too late for adam and tila and they go hurtling off a cliff's edge but thanks to the quick thinking of tila and her clever bow staff which is the name of her weapon she's able to shoot out a grappling hook out of her staff and latch it to wondar's mount's tail making it roar 
and she could swing herself and Adam back onto the trail and leapfrog them both into the front of the pack. And Tila and Adam both laugh for a second, you know, and it seems like they're remembering uh, simpler times and they forget all the baggage that had accumulated since that dreadful day Adam died. So they see the object of the hunt. It's that saber-toothed dialynx up ahead. And just as they close in, King Grayskull comes crashing in from the side, riding what we were just talking about, his green-horned uh, cybernetic triceratops ride, the Bionotops. Uh, based on that classic vintage toy, and King Grayskull leaps off the Bionotops, wrestles the saber-tooth to the ground, and then thanks the beast for a goodly chase and tells it until next time. So, And King Grayskull, he compliments Tila's flying skills and assumes she must have had a glorious death. But before Tila can explain, Vikor, Kudok, and Wondor walk over and smiling, saying they bring spoils from the hunt as Vikor carries Adam to them. And King Grayskull teases Adam, saying, Welcome to the winner's circle, flea man. And then Wondar explains the obvious to Tila that they call Adam that because he's small like a flea. <laughs> then King Grayskull says something here uh, very thought-provoking to us, the audience. He tells Tila that they choose their forms here in Paternia. And no great champion has ever chose their lesser self until Adam. And I have to wonder here that, is this really Adam's lesser self? I mean, sure, to these muscle-bound heroes, Adam is weak. But perhaps none of them realize, or none of them can realize, that Adam did, in fact, choose his greater self here that Adam sees this version of himself as his best self. To, to dramatically simplify it, you know, to reduce it to its simplest explanation, Adam knows that the biggest muscle he has is his heart. As Man in Arms remarks in a later episode, um, Adam only calls on the power when someone else needs it. He would always give that power away, so to speak, and never take credit for it. So perhaps, just perhaps, Adam is more selfless than every single one of them. A selflessness that will even give up the reward of an afterlife itself, something the other champions, even King Skull, would never do. And Adam knows that that's true strength and that this is his greater self at least the way i see it yeah that's that's powerful stuff <laughs> very very powerful um and i i i remember seeing that and wondering or just thinking like man that's that's uh that's a unique way of putting it and also also but also thinking like what 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 was wondar's you know, do they change? Did they have some like, or hero? I mean, or even King Grayskull was that? You know, did they have to imbue the power of Grayskull to get you know to what they look like? You know, in Preternia, or is that just how they you know naturally are? Because like King Grayskull in the 2000X version, very, I mean, basically very. They basically took that 
that model <laughs> and, and and put it in a revelation just made a few tweaks there but yeah i think he was just naturally you know buff and like huge and you know and all that and didn't really have to do any kind of you know some of the power to transform to look that way um i thought it was very you know very unique to you know to to show that yes this is as you said i mean this is adam's they say it's his, his lesser self but truly i think that's what you know adam's showing that no this is you know he's more powerful really than than all of them because again he is always willing to give the power back never you know having it all to himself or you know having it you know for long periods of time it's like okay i need it to to help people and then once i'm done with that i can always give it up and it seems like yeah i don't need to i don't need to have the muscle that i don't need to have i don't need to look like he-man you know I'm, I'm fine the way i am but i do think again not to get too far ahead but i think in the next series i wonder if that's going to play a role in in that and i think i wonder how how if they may play with the fact that you know i do have some theories and ideas of what they may take revolution in and possibly will we see actually finally uh king adam and how is that going to play out and does he you know kind of like what i was saying before about king grayskull does he just become you know does something happen where it's like yes it's you know even though he's you know a scrawny you know prince adam now they're becoming king maybe that's his his that heart that, that you said that you know this is like his greatest you know muscle his greatest strength maybe that just fully you know is realized and he doesn't even have to call down the power anymore so i think yeah, yeah that was that was very uh very powerful and unique way of kind of presenting pre-attorney and presenting how these heroes you know enter it and the fact that adam said like no i don't i don't need it i just i, I don't need to have all that i'm just i'm i'm prince adam and this is this is really who i am yeah yeah i think not necessarily all of them have this 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 big transition like adam to e-man i mean i think at least in the masters of the universe revelation prequel comics king gray skull was just generally big to begin with mm -hmm. um so maybe necessarily your best self isn't as dramatic i mean if we look at kudak Ungol in the filmation episode she was a very old woman and now she's yeah. back to being young again so it could be just in regards to age and physical shape but not necessarily um you know from from oh, someone scrawny to someone jacked you right. know so um it, it i think it, it could vary depending on the hero um but um but they do seem to pick their their best self and i guess from from initial glance or from a a a shallow i guess way of looking at it someone like wondar or, or a bunch of big heroes would say why, why are you picking your your weakling self here you know yeah. why are you clark kent when well he always had his power i mean i don't know what's a good you know clark kent without the strength right why yeah. why would you pick clark a clark kent uh kent when you could um, be superman so yeah I don't or, know. or shazam i guess you could say yeah, yeah. there you go shazam would be perfect right right so we transition to later that night and uh everyone is in group celebrating the day's hunt around a large campfire and king grayskull and tila are sitting on a log near that campfire and tila has revealed to king grayskull that someone has cracked the orb back on eternia and king grayskull remarks that the sword of power was forged to protect the orb and that he should know he was the first champion to wield it 
And when the elders first cast the illusion to hide the Hall of Wisdom, the elders named it Castle Grayskull to honor King Grayskull. But he humorously remarks, one look at Castle Grayskull, and he can see it is a dubious honor at best, which made me laugh. And yeah, that, that real, real quick, that, that I mean, because um, I guess that was a, a real nod to the actual, you know, the toy itself. Um, I've always heard different, uh, I mean, just on, uh, different references to like people, um, like Mattel was saying like, you know, when they came up with that, okay, this is Castle Grayskull and like, wait a minute, that's, why'd you make a castle for the bad guy? You know, <laughs> it's like, why did you, you know, he's got a skull. I mean, it's a, it's a skull castle. Why, why would you even, I mean, no kids want to, they want to, he, they want a, a place set for the hero. And so I think that I, I could be wrong, but I, th- I always took that as like, oh yeah, I wonder if that's a little kind of like a wink and a nod to the, the, you know, the behind the scenes making of Castle Grayskull. Maybe I just thought, you know, because the, the idea is, and I think the, the idea originated out of the, um, the Bible, the filmation Bible written by Michael Halpern, that the uh, Castle Grayskull was a uh, illusion, a transfiguration to hide the hall of Praternia. You know, they were going to make it scary enough that oh, no one wanted to go there. There's nothing good in there. Right. You know, it's just terrifying. It's gross. It's dirty. So I don't know. That's the way I took the dubious honor that it's not a very pretty looking. I mean, we love it. It's, it's gorgeous oh, yeah. to us, but uh, would you really want to live there? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> if, if, if you weren't a fan of this lore, probably not, you know, you definitely want to live instead in the hall of wisdom. Cause that thing is so brilliant looking and gorgeous and looks like uh, gemstones, a big giant diamond. And, um, so I don't know. That's the way I took it, but who knows? They could be um, definitely giving that a little nod. So, but you know, I must say here that in regards to King Grayskull, that um, Dennis Haysbert uh, did a terrific job as the voice of King Grayskull here, and uh, you know, it was a magnificent piece of casting. Um, before Revelation, all I knew Dennis from was the role as the president in the television series Twenty Four. And uh, for a small role on the film Heat with uh, Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer, Al Pacino. Oh, and the spokesman of the Allstate Insurance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, for me, it was uh, just Serrano from Major League. I remember. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just every time I hear his voice, I just hear, you know, you know, Joe Boo, Joe Boo. You know? <laughs> So yeah, that um, that yeah, to your point, that was that was amazing casting. Yeah, so was, I I didn't I kind of knew a little bit of who was voicing who on the show, yeah. um, but not not me. I didn't you know go into IMDb and just look up everybody. So I just you know as the as each episode rolled out and they had like Tony Todd for you know Scarecrow, I'm like oh it's like you just recognize that voice. And then as soon as uh, King Grayskull spoke, I'm like oh that's Dennis Hasbro. It's like that's perfect. Yeah, that's just I mean I mean he just invokes you know just regal and just you know you know in power and as as soon as soon as he started talking i'm like yes that that's perfect casting yeah strength yet compassion and a leader we'd all want to follow just by his voice alone you know so uh king gray skull um he reveals there is a gateway within his tower that will take tila and her companions back to eternia and you know, just a side note, um, real quick. It's interesting to me that King Grayskull here calls Grayskull Tower his tower, quote unquote, his tower, which sort of sounds like ownership and maybe even sleeps in it or resides in it within Paternia, which then begs the question if 
Grayskull Tower is King Grayskull's possession. Who does Viper Tower belong to? You know? Yep. Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, maybe we'll find out in Revolution. But uh, I digress. So, so Adam asks if uh, King Grayskull ever used the gateway back to Eternia. And seems surprised he never used it and went back before. But King Grayskull shuts that idea down cold, stating, you know, we're dead, boy. It would be unnatural. And King Grayskull remarks that he spent his whole life afraid of death. But once he died and was received into paradise, he discovered there was nothing ever to fear. And King Grayskull explains the end is merely the beginning and only in death is he truly living. So why would he ever leave? And when King Grayskull asks that question, Adam looks over to Tila, knowing that she will apply that why would he ever leave to Adam as well. So Tila walks off alone and we cut back to Andra. Hero and the rest of the crew as they prepare to turn the central tower into a forge. And surrounding machines are plugged into Roboto. And as Hero lays the two halves of the power sword in front of him, and Lynn transfers the last remaining ember of magic from her wand to Roboto's cork collider, which superpowers Roboto and the machines he's connected to. And Hero seems concerned and warns that um, the energy will be cataclysmic, Metal Man. <laughs> Are you sure you're up to a task this dangerous? Sorry about the voices. I sometimes <laughs> <laughs> But Roboto replies, oh, not at all. You know, please get the others to the minimum safe distance. So giving Roboto the thumbs up as she leaves, Andra with Hero, Beastman, and Lin leave the central tower, and Roboto turns his right hand into a forge hammer. And as three surrounding machines electrify it, he begins to smash one of the sword halves. Blue sparks fly, which turns into what appears to be firefly-type insects in the Praternian forest into a very you know cool transition from scene to scene. So here Tila stands alone and sighs and is trying to take solace in this beautiful environment, but she hears someone approaching and it's Adam. Exactly the person, well, the reason that she needs comfort. And Adam begins to speak, but Tila um, begs him to stop being nice to just let her be angry. And she's clearly having trouble processing it all. Adam asks her, is her anger due to because I lied? And Tila responds, yes, because he lied. Tila explains to Adam that he doesn't understand what that did to her, that she couldn't mourn her friend because she didn't know who he really was. Tila tells Adam that he really hurt her and he couldn't even scream Adam for it because he was gone, that he died and the rest of them had to live with it. Now, I know there were a lot of fans out there that had difficulty empathizing with Tila and her feelings, but me personally, I could understand Tila's perspective here. Um, 
There are real people in the world that have learned shocking secrets on someone's deathbed or at their funeral or going through their personal belongings afterwards. You know, they, they find out surprising things, shocking things, horrifying things. You know, someone was having an affair uh, during a marriage, someone was sending money to a child that they kept secret. Someone was involved with illegal acts or someone was into something considered, let's say, very taboo. You know, whatever these, whatever it is, uh, these surprises usually hidden by many lies that when discovered, Reveal to someone who cares about that person who died, although you may have been totally real with them, they were not fully real with you. You know, it's, I think it's called postmortem secrets. And with postmortem secrets, it complicates your grief. You begin to wonder, what else is this person lying about? You know, why didn't they trust you with this information before? And you start to wonder if you really, truly knew this person at all. And quickly, grief can turn into anger. And, and what is worse is you can't confront this person about it because they are dead. So all of this doubt and hurt and pain, it could only sit there and fester with often no way to confront it and get past it. So for me, at least I get it. I was, I was the same way. And I, and I understand the, the, the fans reaction and some of the, the hate that was behind that. But to me, I, I understood it perfectly well. I mean, to your point, there's, there's people like when, you know, you have a loved one that passes and you find out something about that and like, Whoa, what? I didn't know about this. And you're like, Whoa. And you can't, it's it's hard for you to really, you know, take all that in because you can't even really confront the person because they're gone. And when you look at it, yes, filmation was, you know, goofy and funny or anything. But when you get down to it, he's Adam's he's lying. He meant both of them, both he meant and Adam. They're lying to her. They're lying in front of her face. I mean, it's. I mean, yes, they're keeping a secret, but you're. I mean, but you're 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 still lying about that. You know, and it's really, it's no, no different than having a secret of like, of who you are as a person, you know, when you, when you're with someone or whether it's, you know, a significant other or a friend and you're, you're telling them one thing, but you're actually acting a, a different way. And I think that's, and if something were to happen to you and they find that out afterwards, it's like, that could turn into, you know, real, you know, you know, hate or just, you know, just real heightened emotions. And I think Tila's just, you know, at that point, she's just ready to just unload on that, you know. And but she, I think she, at the same time, she does feel bad. At least that's why I get because she's just, she's just conflicted. It's like she didn't think she would ever see Adam again to be able to tell him, hey, yeah, this was not right what you did. Um, and here she, here, here she is, you know, being able to see him face to face after so many years, and it's just hard to. All she can really do is just be mad at him, you know, and that's. To me, I was like, yeah, I, I get that. And it's in, and it made sense. And what's worse is she loved him, you know, yeah. and uh, she thinks 
or I think she feels deep inside that he loved her. And he trusted everybody in that group. He trusted Orko. He trusted Man at Arms. You know, Cringer knows. But what Tila doesn't know, he Tila couldn't be trusted with that information. I mean, who 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 was closer than Tila? So yeah, I would definitely get the anger and the the hurts and the pain and feel like why what was wrong with me why did you keep this from me why did you lie to me i never lied to you you know and what do you think i would do with this information do you think i would tell you know and yeah so you can understand this in a human level and it, it takes it up a few notches than the filmation you know it's it's interesting that this um, revelation is a um, an adult sequel to a filmation series and um and this basically this this series has aged with us which is really cool i mean i've never and there could be stuff out there but i've never experienced anything that i watched as a kid and then got received a sequel as an adult and the adult material was elevated from my age as a child you know the maturity level to an age as an adult it the the, the sequel aged with me and right. i think it's really fascinating and really rewarding that uh, kevin smith and party actually did this and um and yeah i love it i love these adult themes yeah and i think to kind of go you know go back to that the, you know the sensibilities of you know hiding a secret identity you know how how that was back when we were kids and back in the 80s and you know, well, I can't tell Tila because she's a woman and she may get hurt. You know, she may get captured if she knows, you know, if, if, if anybody finds out or if she finds out, that may put her in danger. I'd say, well, that those are sensibilities of a, you know, of an old age <laughs> or of an old time. Um, and I think they, you know, Kevin and, and Revelation, they kind of, they understood that and said, well, let's, you know, let's make sure we make this more adult orientated, you know, and not, not kind of fall into those sensibilities like, to your point, like, yeah, he trusted Cringer, he trusted Orko, he trusted Mad Arms. And, you know, Batila was the only person out of that group, you know, that, you know, that she was close with that wasn't, you know, wasn't told. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's the real life, real human emotions would dictate what, you know, how she reacted. And, and not in a sense where if it wasn't filmation, if they did tell that story, if, if filmation continued on and he man told her a secret, she would probably get mad. You know, and get pouty. You know, and it's like how she would. You know how how you know how Tila would in the filmation, and then eventually at the end of the episode, everything would just be wrapped up in a neat bow. It's like, well, that's not real real life. You know, and I think that's they wanted to incorporate a lot of those more modern and, and real life sensibilities into the show, which I mean, I really you know I really enjoyed. Yeah. Now regarding the the female aspect of needing to protect her, I don't think that was even a sentiment back in the filmation show. You know, it's ironic where. It, they would, some critics would call Masters of the Universe Revelation woke. And I would argue if you're calling that show woke, then, then Filmation was also the wokest show that ever existed because Tila was a captain of the guard and she was indicated to be the second best fighter under He-Man um, several times in the Filmation series. I remember one episode, Game Master, where I think he was, um, was it game master but he was like picking up heroes and he stated that tila was the second best fighter on oh. eternia you know and and you have um the sorcerers saying like in the episode evil seed that the three most powerful people 
in Eternia is herself He-Man and Skeletor. Skeletor, not two men, but her right. He-Man and Skeletor. So, and you have um, Adam's mother, who is a pilot and the best pilot on Eternia. So, you know, th- th- we already had strong women to mm-hmm. begin with. And uh, so Tila could have handled this. She was the captain of the Eternian Guard. So I can really see her frustration in in why it was kept from her, you know? And uh, I don't really even know if there was a good explanation. And I'm not even sure what the explanation was, you know, when they created that show. But well, it I, is what it is, right? Yeah. And I think, and what I meant by that, I think it's because like, like, like going back to Superman, like Lois Lane, like the female characters were always kind of kept in the dark as far as the, the, the knowing of the alter ego and and knowing what they're, because again, we all, I always imagine Adam, he, man, Tila, they're going to, you know, want that's, you know, they're just to get and be together. And that's just in my, you know, little kid mind is like knowing Superman doesn't, tell his secret to Lois Lane. Okay, well, that's, that's natural for He-Man not to tell it to, to Tila. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. You know, it, it was that story, that, that kind of mentality. Um, but to your point, definitely, definitely that was always part of the filmation. Even watching it now, I go back and watch episodes off and on. And yeah, Tila, the sorcerers, I mean, f- strong female characters, even Evelyn, that was yeah. always part of you know the story. And then you go into 2000X where she's even... I actually think she was more... <laughs> more of a, a pain in the 2000X version than she was in Revelation, quite honestly. I, you know, I've gone back and seen 2000X, and, I mean, I love that shit series, but I, she really she, she really cranked it up a notch as far as really being kind of, you know, annoyed and with uh, Adam and, and kind of just like, it made me, when I saw it originally, I was like, I don't I don't know if I like this version of Tila. So it's like fans that want to criticize Revelation, it's like, well, I mean, again, that's always been part of the lore is having a strong female character and you know in a nutshell with revelation i knew you know this this was a story that had to be told that's been you know this the story of tila and her journey it's been a loose end that's been through filmation and through the mike young production of teased and hinted at but never fully realized and it's like now's the time that we finally get to finally see this this story of Tila fulfilling her destiny. I mean, it was always a story that had to be told and I was glad that they were finally telling it fans that didn't read the synopsis or didn't really understand the, uh, you know, um, understand the concept around it. Probably. Yeah. I I get why you would be upset. Thing it's just going to be a, a new He-Man show and He-Man's going to be running around and, and, you know, be the central focus. But no, I, I took this as, you know, one, you know, a first part of, of basically two movies. You got part one and part two, it's a continuous story in the first part and same with the second one. And, you know, them telling this, this story of Tila, I think, yes, that's, it has to be, has to be told. I mean, it's like, it's been dangled in front of us for so many, for 40 years that it's like, yeah. finally, finally, we can, we can see the fully, real, fully realized version of, uh, of Tila. Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's what always made me um, chuckle a little bit when uh, some critics said that, um, or had predicted or speculated that Tila was going to be the next He-Man. And I was like, <laughs> you just don't know the lore, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and it's okay if you don't, but she's been set up to become the most power, you know, one of the most powerful people on attorney for a long time. And no, she's going to be the, become the sorceress. So I just found that quite uh, humorous when uh, people thought she was going to pick up the power sword and be the next He-Man. So yeah, that doesn't work that way, but 
I mean, I will admit though, Kevin Smith didn't do himself some favors as far as like trying to, you know, like kind of uh, be political around that. I think he did mention that, you know, oh, don't worry, you know, he man's going to be all on this and this and that. It's like, well, if he had just worded it a different way or just say, hey, just read the synopsis. I mean, the synopsis kind of, for me, when I read it, I was like, yes, something happens where Tila has to go on a journey. He man, either he's, you know, taken out of the picture somehow. He won't be gone for, for you know, all of it, but he's he's going to be take he's going to be out of the picture for for a minute, and then Tila's going to have this journey she has to go on. So, yeah, I think it's it, Kevin Smith was meaning that this this was all about He Man was you know it's like the death of Superman. I mean, right. Superman is not there, but everyone's dealing with the death. Or if you look at you know we had mentioned Infinity War in the beginning. Um, after Infinity War, you go to Endgame, and it's dealing with all the loss, yeah. everything that's happened, and it's even though it's a movie not about the snap, your deal, the movie is about the snap and everything that happened with the snap and all these heroes dying and passing away. And the same thing here, it's, it was the the impact of of a world without He Man. So I think with the flashbacks and and how it impacted everyone in that world and it changed everything. I think it was all about the world without He-Man, but when you say, you know, your series is all about He-Man, people just see the literal words and right. don't see the subtext. And when they watch it and then immediately say, Kevin Smith lied and, and, you know, he killed my childhood, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> That's a common one. But I mean, you know, hopefully people have um, softened and warmed up and maybe given the show another rewatch and somewhat, you know, could realize at least the story they're trying to tell. I mean, I have nothing but love for everyone. And uh, I understand that not everyone is going to like every piece of media, you know. And uh, again, what's so great about Mo2 is there's something for everybody. But um, but I do think you at least have to respect what, uh, you know, the, the, the grown-up story that he was trying to tell, you know, even if the, it, it didn't appeal to you. Um, and it wasn't this just grand gesture to, to take He-Man out of the picture. This whole, I don't know, all these ideal, ideological influencers that were suggesting, you know, Kevin Kevin Smith went woke, you know, kind of thing. That criticism. Yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna get that. But to me, when I when I saw, I mean, immediately, immediately, I just like, yeah, this is uh, the animation is top notch, the score, everything about it, and then seeing going, no, knowing where the story is eventually going to lead, I knew at least you know we're gonna find, uh, you know, Tila's gonna find out not just who He Man is, but also you know her finally finally know that you know had to have that mean with her and the sorceress and she's going to find out that she's the sorceress's daughter and this is her destiny and you know again it's it's 40 years 40 years of uh in the mm -hmm. making so i think that was that was i mean again i'm i was happy with what they came out with yeah me too so adam tells tila he needs to know why she came and uh, she pleads with him not to ask. And Adam is assistant and doesn't understand why Tila needs to get back to Eternia with the Sword of Power. Adam asks, why? Why do you need it? We saved the world, didn't we? But Tila thinks of him and gently says that telling Adam wouldn't do anything but torture him. And Adam counters and says, if I have to, I can go back. But Tila says non-sarcastically and genuine. Like Grayskull said, this is paradise. Why would you ever leave? So Tila leaves, and then there's a 
Magical breeze again, wisping through the forest, and Mossman appears, this time in humanoid form. Indicating although eavesdropping on Adam and Tila is rude, he heard the entire conversation. And uh, Adam asked the uh, green giant if anyone has ever left Praternia before, thinking Mossman might know because he's the only mythological Praternian plant creature Adam knows. But Mossman remarks that Adam thinks he's unique, but he's not very different from other creatures. He simply died and became a forest in Praternia. And Mossman explains that people die and feed nature all the time and in the end become nature too. But Adam was special and given a reprieve for services rendered as a champion of Grayskull. But if he returns to Eternia, he might not be able to come back and just end up as immortals do in the dirt. And Adam has to decide if he's at peace with that. So Adam looks bothered by that choice. So Mossman tries to cheer Adam up, saying he's terribly young in the terms of the universe, only a million years old. So what does he know? So... Next, it cuts back to the central tower, and Roboto continues trying to forge the sword together. And as he starts reading an internal warning that the core levels are critical, Roboto appears to begin changing the consistency of both swords into those glowing blades of energy. And Tila approaches the crowd standing outside of the central tower, and as Adam calls on her, the windows of the central tower forge open which assumingly like a a real forge a regular forge supplies the fire enough oxygen to get to a temperature so hot hot enough to manipulate the metals you're forging and andra yells it's working and a tower of fire and mystical energy swirls around roboto as the blades are full bursts of purple and gold energy now and the sound, surrounding equipment uh, blows apart. And with everything Roboto has left, with core levels critical, he pushes the two blades into each other. And they finally, finally, the power sword is forged, reforged. And I just adore the uh, visuals here. And between the work of Powerhouse Animation Studios and Bear McCreary score, uh, who knew a blacksmith scene could be so exciting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that was, uh, that was I definitely once I get my Roboto master first, I want to recreate that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think he comes with the two, I guess, the glowing orange, uh, uh, two halves of the power stores in, in orange, I guess, glowing form. Um, but yeah, that, that scene was, you know, just watching it, you know, earlier today was just, uh, amazing. And again, like you said, the visuals, the, the music, everything just, just fits, you know, perfectly. And then seeing the power sword return, just just seeing it. I mean, it, it just it, again you're getting little things here and there. Like, yes, we took away He Man, we took about away the power sword in the beginning, but we're gonna give it to you little by little, just little little breadcrumbs here and there. And seeing the power sword return to its glory, I mean, that thing is just like I remember again just watching it, and just like oh, it's like it's finally back. You know, it's, it's finally put together again. Just something from our childhood and growing up that just that sword i mean if i if i ever wanted to i mean if i ever, if i ever see something that's like a you know like a scale replica i was like i gotta get it. i'm gonna have to get it i'm gonna have yeah. to get it <laughs> hanging on my wall i may not i mean i have no use for it but it's like it's just something i just i need a i need a path 
and and that power sword is like my version of the power sword i mean no offense to uh 2000x fans i didn't really dig that oversized power sword you know but this one is very filmation-y and um yeah this this one i love and i love that poster that iconic poster the first poster for masters of the universe revelation that just has the gray skull oh the one behind me right here yeah yeah and uh with this power sword ah ah spectacular spectacular so all right so suddenly um there seems to be a fluctuation around that power sword and energy crackles around it and it almost looks like it's charging then all roboto has a chance to say next is oh and suddenly a bang a big bang and there's an explosion reaction that sends roboto flying back in pieces the explosion pushes outdoors through the central tower windows and Andre yells Roboto and she rushes to the central tower or prize open the doors and she rushes over to the severely damaged Roboto that is missing two legs his right arm and he's missing part of his chest and Tila's gaze hangs on the magnificent reforged power sword for a moment but then she runs over to Andra and joins Roboto's side too. And Roboto looks bad. And Andra tells uh, Roboto that he did it. He fixed the sword. And then with this like heartbreaking delivery by uh, actor Tiffany Smith, she tells him quivering, you know, you're going to be okay. Trust me. You know, and um, Adam wants to join them, but Hero holds him back as Roboto says his last words to Tila. Roboto says, Tila, please tell father he was more successful at making me than he knew. If I was but a mere machine, I would never be afraid to die. And yet, as my gears stall and my program ends, I feel fear. Tila tells Roboto that Duncan can fix him. But Roboto replies, no tears. Don't you see? I feel fear. Ergo, I feel. And then Roboto says the lines that like get me in the heart every time I watch it. And uh, Roboto says, I was no mere machine. I was a miracle. What a way to go. And Roboto dies. And, uh, you know, the scene goes quiet and the camera pulls away from the shot as we hear Andra, you know, softly crying. And the seed, the scene fades to black. And. And this is just what I adore about Masters of the Universe Revelation. You know, when someone's heart is breaking, when a character's heart is breaking, my heart is breaking too. And as musician John Mellencamp used to sing, it hurts so good, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that, I had a feeling if um, characters were going to be, um, were having to, you know, go. I had a feeling Roboto was going to be um, was going to be one of them, especially in the earlier episodes where it's kind of implied that you know, you know, I'm the only one that can you know reforge a sword. So I'm thinking this 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 doesn't sound good. It's like it's going to be some sort of sacrifice. Something's going to happen, and, and I believe it was Justin Long, the uh, the voice for the voice actor for yep. or the actor for uh, for Roboto, and he did a great, amazing job. Because I mean, I I know Justin Long. And I think that's what's so great about, you know, Revelation is they did that with a lot of, you know, a lot of these characters. 
of Jason Jason Muse for uh, uh, Stinkor. Like I, if I if you hadn't told me that Jason Muse was playing Stinkor, I would never would never have known would never have known that that was that was him because you just you had this idea of this you know this this actor and, and his voice and and same with Justin Long. I just I see him because you know he's he's you know he's an actual act you know he's an actor like live action not a voice actor and um you know hearing him deliver those lines it just like uh, yeah same with you it just it was just like really really hurting and then before the explosion and you see like the little the little charge and then like you said he's just oh and then that was like ah, the, here it comes and then he just gets blasted but it's so i think what 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 was making it really uh impactful and I think he says this earlier because he references Tila as his sister. And, you know, he sees Mad Arms as his father. And he references that again, you know, as he's dying, um, you know, to what you had said, you know, father, you know, you know, referencing Mad Arms. And it just, to me, that just even made more, you know, just, just tug at the heartstrings further. It's just, you know, he, he finally feeling, you know, he finally knows, you know, the power of feeling and the power of fear. And it just, it was all like just, Again, they did a really great job of just just you know making that scene, crafting that scene, and and you know providing genuine emotion from from you know from people, or at least for me. Yeah, um, and just really, I had, I had to take a moment. I had to be like, okay, well, I need to, you know, this is getting really really tough. It's like characters that I, I remember, um, you know, just I mean, just playing with them is just pieces of plastic. But watching cartoons and just like now seeing this growing up version and seeing them, you know this version of them having to, you know, having to die, having to, you know, pass on. It was, it was pretty, um, pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. It's, it's so well done. It has heart. I mean, I, uh, off the cuff, maybe I could equate it to actually, I'm a big fan of the first uh, guardians of the galaxy movie. And um, w- one of the things that makes that film work so much for me is not the special effects, which is great. And the music, which is great, but sometimes, they just every character has a moment where you know where rocket raccoon is drunk in a bar screaming about how he's prodded and he's not a monster and you know everyone treats him like a monster and you feel for these characters when and when so many movies like that with the same special effects and the same big budget you don't feel anything you know it's cold it's machine like um but the again with masters of universe revelation it's just written in such a it's such a human way um, by writers that could tap into these emotions that, yeah, as, as, as a audience member, you know, I feel the pain too. I feel the hurt too. And it, and it's great that you're feeling it. And I, I was sitting there, especially the first time, like, Holy cow, you know, I'm fighting back tears and it's, I'm watching masters of the universe. <laughs> you know, this isn't something like a, a, a drama, you know, on um, HBO max or something with uh, Meryl street, but this is masters of the universe and it's getting me right in the feels. And uh, I'm so thankful for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think they did a really great job of that. And I mean, to to you know, to your point of Guardians, I know part two. Again, just those those. I think when you hit those familiar, you know, or family uh, elements, when Yondu, when right before he dies, like you know, know, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. And then that scene when he you know sacrifices himself so that uh, Star Lord can can live. It's just like uh, oh, so you know that that really like it's like I shouldn't I shouldn't I shouldn't get choked up on this film with a talking raccoon and a and a giant tree or a baby tree. You know, yep. say, say with masters, I should not be feeling you know these emotions. You know, I mean, 
I mean, I will admit though with Orko that that I mean, again, it was with Roboto, I think because of of the if him mentioning Man Arms as, as his father, I think, and Tila as his sister, that really got me. And then same with Orko, him almost it's just like him realizing his destiny and saying like now I'm 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 I got this, you know, I'm doing it just like you told Lynn, I'm doing what look, I'm doing it. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, at the, at the time, you know, him, you know, implying that he's di- that he's dead. But yeah, just so many great moments like that where it just they, they really pull the emotion out of you and say, yes, this is this is like Hollywood level, you know, writing and, and Hollywood level production going into it, you know. Mm-hmm. People that know, you know, people that know what they're doing, and as far as creating drama, creating tension, creating those those emotions, that I mean, I only hope that you know the li- a live action film can can replicate that. But I'm fine, just you know, having this. Just give me give me more of this, and I'll be I'll be perfectly happy. Yeah, you give me two more of these because they did hint there was going to be possibly a third entry that uh, also. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Smith said and. He even Kevin Smith even said we probably can guess the name, you know. So then it was like Revelation, Revolution. What are we talking? Reunion, rejuvenation. Uh, you know, there were a million R words, you know, that yeah. we could we could plug in there. But if you make these like this this epic sweeping saga, kind of like Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, ah, it'd be fantastic, you know, to have this, you know, and 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 a sweeping saga like this, you can kill off characters and you could tell these big sweeping stories with adult themes and impactful emotion and and it could reset after that and we could do something else, you know, but right. to be able to have this 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 Tolkien like version of Lord of the Rings in animated form. Oh man, yeah, that's 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 all I'm looking for. And I, I'm I'm with you. I don't need any mediocre live action Masters of the Universe film. <laughs> you know, I mean if if you're gonna give me something that is light and fl- I mean I I will love it. I will go see anything Masters of the Universe, but this is hitting my sweet spot, you know? So this is what I would want. And, um, and I'm fine that it's animated. So, all right. So the next scene um, opens in Grayskull Tower to the sounds of the wonderful, warm, somber music again by Bear McCreary. And uh, as King Grayskull opens the gateway back to Eternia, and Hero hands Tila the power sword wrapped in a cloth like a holy shroud. And Tila slings it on her back and then looks at Adam and says, I guess this is it. And she turns to leave with Andra, Beastman, and Lynn. And then suddenly Adam says, no. If I'm here, who's going to call down the power of Grayskull? But Hero puts his hand on the shoulder of Adam and says, there were champions before you, Adam. And there'll be champions after you. And he tells him to lay the burden down. But Adam ignores Hero's advice and continues. Robato, Orko, they gave everything for your mission. No one else dies. Whatever you're not telling me, whatever became of Eternia, we'll face it together. And next, King Grayskull tries to warn Adam by saying, Adam, if you go with them, there is no coming back. This is your great reward. Adam listens to King Grayskull, but then turns back and picks Tila and says, I go where you go. And uh, it's the true heart of a champion, like we were saying before. And the greatest champion of them all, I would say, who, who would 
do something not even Hero or King Grayskull would do, give up heaven. So the champions wish Adam farewell. And as they all return to Eternia through the Grayskull Tower portal, Adam looks back at the Paternian legends one more time before taking a deep breath and walks through too. And as we're leaving Paternia, you know what? On a side note, I really wish we got to see someone ride one of the monorails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from a tower to tower or something, you know, yeah. that would have been so cool. So yeah. I, I think probably um you know, when they mentioned that, you know, pre-turn, you know, pre-turning would return, I was like, that's gotta be, that's gonna, you know, th that's gotta play into it. I mean, I mean, you, you just did this Kickstarter so and everything. You gotta incorporate everything with, you know, told, they probably told Kevin Smith, hey, gotta make sure, get, get, get everything, get the trap door, get the elevator, get everything. We wanna see everything in the thing of revolution. <laughs> oh no, but that, that yeah, seeing the, um, um, yeah, just seeing the the different uh, vehicles on the monorail, I think that's, that's, yeah, I think they got to incorporate that somehow. Yeah. So Adam appears on Eternia to a horrific sight, a screaming, charging techno cultist with a rotary saw for a hand charging at him. So Adam falls back. But how cool is this? Beastman pounces on the acolyte just in time to save Adam's life. All right, Beastman. And uh, so all the heroes start batting, uh, battling acolytes in front of Castle Grayskull. And even Lynn uses her wand as a war club to beat one away and even looks surprised with herself after doing it. And next, a fleet of Rotons start pushing through. And when things start looking bleak, a laser blast comes from the heavens. And it's not from the heavens, actually. It's Duncan in his man-at-arms armor from a tower of the Hall of Wisdom, firing this awesome laser bazooka. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's the official name here, folks. That's what, <laughs> what the uh, cool weapon is referred to in the official art book, a laser bazooka. And uh, he starts blowing them away, and we hear that Bear McCreary awesome man-at-arms theme. Man-at-arms, man-at-arms, he is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he fires his uh, laser bazooka at the fleet of Rotans, uh, blowing them apart. And then Duncan jumps down to the ground using a grappling hook like Batman and gives Tila a big fatherly hug. And Duncan warns Tila that the Technocultists will be back. Raids come every few hours, but I will die before I let any of them lay their filthy hands on her, he says. And suddenly Duncan hears a familiar face that says, or a familiar voice, right? That says, I know a little thing about dying. And lo and behold, it's Adam. Duncan is in shock saying, how is this possible? And then suddenly we hear it. We hear the voice of Cringer say, Adam? And Duncan steps aside, revealing the green tiger cringer, whimpering in disbelief, and runs and knocks Adam to the ground, licking his face with so much joy. And Adam laughs, saying, Oh, buddy, I never thought I'd see you again. And it's a it's it's a nice moment. Yeah, that I mean that again, going back to the whole emotional thing, that to me that I think throughout the whole series, that was probably like the most emotional that I got. Cause for me, Cringer was just 
Uh, I mean, one thing I didn't like about the 2000X is they made him more into a, you know, an actual cat that didn't talk. And I think you lose some of that, I don't know, just, just memories or, uh, or well, I'm not sure how you call it, but I know with the filmation, I just cringer was, whether it was the music, you know, the Carolee cat, you know, theme that cringer would, you know, what that would always play when cringer was around. And then his voice, you know, just his, his act, you know, voice acting, everything around it. And then, uh, Stephen Root, who, uh, voice uh cringer i mean did a great great job i mean he that speech he had yeah. in the uh in the earlier episodes was amazing and now seeing him here just whimpering and then i mean and thinking about it, like he's been without you know his best friend his you know the guy who who protected him from uh who, who rescued him from the forest you know when he was a uh, when he was a kitten those many years ago he's he's gone and here he is returned and you know now he's 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 just happy to see him you know his best friend his you know his um it's just you know his his everything i mean it's just it's just a sweet scene and yeah i just i got emotional again i just i was just getting i was so happy you know to see that and and again just just the way his animation style was just you know he's just real just real just hunkered down and just this you know the cowardly cat that everybody you know knows him as and i think just that that cuteness factor just goes up every time i you know i see him on screen so yeah. yeah all right so as they walk into uh castle grayskull tila gives adam the lowdown that when adam absorbed the exploding orb of power it split the power sword in two and both halves took all the magic in the universe to praternia and subternia but now that it's reforged adam's sword can be a conduit again to call back the power to the hall of wisdom a.k.a. Castle Grayskull. So Sorceress greets the heroes and tells Tila that she's done well. And the heroes head to the heart of Grayskull where Adam had died in the episode one. And Tila turns to Adam and asks the question, still know the tune? You know, a question for the audience as much as Adam himself. And Adam smiles and says, some things you can never forget. And he takes the shroud off the power sword, raises it into the air, and says, by the power of Grayskull. And suddenly the power starts coming back to the Hall of Wisdom. The orb starts reforming. Uh, Tila Na begins getting her power back. The pyramid begins closing around the orb. The flora returns surrounding the, the Hall of Wisdom. And... The eerie castle that we know and love returns, you know, the Hall of Wisdom transforms into that eerie illusion again of Castle Grayskull once more, which Triclops notices uh, while using his eye as the uh, monocular, I guess (laughs) that's what it's called, and yells for his techno-cultists to retreat. But wait. Just then, Lynn's satchel opens and the ram head of the Havoc staff floats out of it and reforms the staff. And just as Adam begins saying, I have the power to transform into He-Man on the word power, we suddenly hear a squelching sound and Adam's eyes go wide and frozen and a stream of blood suddenly starts dripping from the corner of his mouth and he begins gurgling as we hear the blood gushing 
from his wound, and the next shot reveals he's been stabbed through the torso. Out of Lin's wand formed Skeletor, who used the end of his Havoc staff to pierce uh, the royal prince. And like a scene out of a horror film, Adam's eyes go wide and his pupils shrink in shock. And as Skeletor eerily, gently, as Adam gasps for air, Skeletor slips the power sword out of Adam's hand, then kicks him to the ground. So, this was another moment that rocked our little section of the internet, you know, uh, rocked our fan community. <laughs> now, while I love this episode, um, with just these first five episodes in a vacuum, in a bottle, I do sort of get how this rubbed some people in the wrong way. Not in the terms where we were talking before, where some people wildly speculated that Andra would become the new He-Man or Tila would become the new He-Man, which considering Tila's family lineage would never happen. Um, but in the terms of a character arc only, in the context of part one, we just spent four episodes. Four episodes essentially bringing Adam back to life on Eternia only to kill him off again. Seemingly it's a feeling of ending your character arc almost exactly where you started from. Now in the context of the whole entire series, on the other hand, spoiler alert, Adam never dies. Right. Um, and for Adam slash He-Man fans, the stabbing of Adam it's just a means to an end, so to speak, for Skeletor to claim the power and then for Tila to come more into her power set by healing Adam, not to mention Adam acting pretty badass between those two events in episode six. And that sequence happens rather quickly if you look at the entire timeline, but without episode six and episode seven, eight, nine, and 10, which follows, this stabbing of Adam feels more permanent and possibly more fatal as you're waiting months and months for the next part to drop. So the way these stab and heal moments were divided, were separated for a long time, I can with intellectual honesty understand some of the original angst after part one. Yeah, I, I definitely can, can see that, but I mean... For me, after watching that, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a nice cliffhanger. It's like I wasn't thinking like, oh, they killed him off again. What happens? Like, I, I, I mean, did not they want Iota that that Adam was gone? And I actually liked the the reversal because that's what He Man does to Skeletor in the first episode. He stabs him with the power sword. So now here's Skeletor. Hey, I'm just gonna return the favor. I'm gonna give you a little stab, you know, in the side, and I'm gonna take the power sword and you know claim it. Which something again, something that. I know I always envisioned something. I was like, what What would happen if Skeletor finally gets his hands on the power sword? To me, that was, that just, I mean, yeah, you're, you're just, you're fulfilling all these childhood fantasies to all these childhood, you know, dreams of, of, you know, wishes of what would happen with these certain characters and him grab, like, that's why they did a close up. I believe, I believe, I believe of him grabbing the sword because like, yes, oh yes, he's finally going to get his hands on it. And it's like, I know Adam's going to be okay. I know, I know that that's fine. I mean, it's like, yeah, 
but I want to see, you know, Skeletor grabbing the sword. And I, I do know some people were complaining or at least talking about, well, why was it when Adam transformed in the first episode, it was pretty quick. Like it was like not this drawn out deal. Whereas in this, you know, at the end, like, you know, it's all drawn, you know, drawn out and, you know, gives Skeletor the opportunity to stab him. I took that as, well, he's returning the, the powers have the magic, all the powers have to, you know, return. It's taken a while for that to happen. And then, you know, that gives Skeletor enough time to, to, re, you know, reju you know, regenerate and then, you know, stab at him. But I mean, yeah, if you had no idea, if you just went, if you just went in blind and had no idea about the Lord, nothing about that, then yeah, I, I could get why that would be like, Oh, they just, they just killed him again. I know Kevin was kind of bragging about that, you know, online yeah. to say like, we killed him twice, you know? And, and some people were just saying yeah, it was that, that after show. I think right. he was talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And people were just taking that as, no, oh, that's just an insult. Like, oh, it's just kicking sand in our face. Like, no, I'm thinking like that is, I mean, that is a cool concept. Like, yes, we killed He-Man and now we're potentially killing Adam at the same time. And I think the whole, that caveat of Returnia, they threw that in there because they, I mean, obviously they're going to have this stinger of an ending and making you think like, oh, wait, if, Adam does die, then he can't go back. Or, you know, it's it's very unlikely that he can't go back to Britannia because they said that. He said that, you know, it's a, basically a, a one-way trip. So I think they, yeah, I think storytelling-wise, they did a great job of doing that. Um, but I, there was no, uh, some of the comments I'd read online, it's just, come on. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and I think even Kevin had even mentioned that, you know, it's like, you know, Mattel is not going to give me, they're not going to let me just say, hey, yeah, kill a He-Man and, you know, and then Adam and then make these characters, you know, the new, you know, power sword wielders. Like that's, that's, that would never happen. At least I don't, you know, and he even said as much a little bit, but I, I think the way they ended it and the way it, it you know, having it as a cliffhanger, I think just uh, it was well done. And then some people have said, well, they should have just done, they should just unloaded all 10 episodes in one giant block and you just go through it. But I think having that that break really just again it made it seem like yes it is a cliffhanger and you're gonna have to wait a couple more months to finish this you know the story out to see where it goes. Well, I think even at the time they didn't have a release date for season no. two, so they were like, "Is this in the works? Has this been made?" Some people really had no idea if 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 and when a season two or, or excuse me, actually it was a season two depending on where you looked and what country you were, but. Yeah. Part two. They didn't know when and if a part two would be coming. And I do believe that Ted Biaselli, uh, Kevin Smith, I'm not sure about Rob David, but I believe those two said, you know, in retrospect, they they, they wish Netflix didn't split that apart. They, they were unaware, I think, that that was the original intention of breaking it up into two parts. Um, and that certainly would have calmed down all of the concern that Adam slash He-Man was being replaced. I, like you, enjoyed it. Um, but I just tried with a little... I try to put myself in some people's shoes with, with legitimate criticisms. Not the ones mm -hmm. that go off and say, you know, Kevin Smith killed my childhood and Andre's going to be He-Man. And not, not with those kind of criticisms. But um, the general ones. And... Um, I think it probably would have played better for the overall audience if it was all in one sweeping release. You appreciated the cliffhanger. I appreciated the cliffhanger, but I could also see where people felt like the, you know, like I said, we just, we just, 
went through four half an hour blocks of bringing him back to life just to kill him off again. And it really looked like a severe wound. I mean, we, uh, and it was, and he would have died if it wasn't for Tila become, you know, come coming into her power set again and bringing him, you know, saving his life. But it really looked like, I mean, the blood coming from his, his mouth, I mean, and falling to the ground, it, it looked like it was over. So I, I at least get it, you know, for, for the people who generally um, didn't like it ending that way. Now, it didn't end that way. And now we can all Monday morning quarterback it, you know, afterwards. Yep. But, um, but at the time, I at least can understand some of it i agree with you i enjoyed it but i at least can under put my perspective towards theirs and say okay i can get why this didn't work for you and maybe they all should have dropped like they originally intended yeah and i think our i think most most you know viewers nowadays they're just used to watching stuff and you know and and just you know binge it binge it all and you know i I'll bring up like Stranger Things. If they had ended, you know, the last season was was divided up. Um, but if they had ended the, the first part of the last season with Steve Harrington seemingly, you know, if they, you know, the episode where he's like, oh, it looks like he's going to die. It's like they had just ended it there. I think people would just been like, just, you know, freaking out and like, what's going on? This and that. Like, you just give me the, you know, give me the next, you know, episodes. What, why, you know, and then people like, if, if the creative people, uh, the Duffer brothers and people are saying like, Oh, you know, yeah, I can't believe we killed off, you know, Steve Harrington. If they had started saying stuff like that and then it's a bait switch, then yeah, I can see where just like, Oh, you should have just like released all of it. But I, I mean, yeah, I could, I, I, to your, you know, to your same point, I can definitely see where, um, yeah, people were just, you know, upset or not even upset, just like, you know, just in shock probably and just thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't, yeah, that 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 is a severe wound, and I, how is this even going to be? How's he going to come back from that? You know, they just said yeah. he can't go back to Britannia. So, yeah, definitely, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot to digest after the episode. But, but I think for tr- I mean, really true Motu fans, I think that if I mean it fulfilled a lot of those those uh, those fantasies and the ending. Um, I was kind of hoping that. Um, because again, they kind of, they, they do reference the 87 movie. I was kind of wondering if he was going to, as he was saying the, the words, if Skeletor was going to resemble something of the 87 film, you know, with, oh. the, giant, with the giant New York, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, yeah, the, I have his, uh, super seven figure over here. So. Yeah. The, the New York skyline and all that, all that, <laughs> that, that huge helmet that he had, yeah. but, uh, it was something similar to that. I mean, he's got, he had the big horn, the big, you know, the big, um, the big uh, headdress and everything, but yeah, I mean, to me, I just like, yeah, that's just, I was, I was perfectly fine with the way they ended it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Taylor runs to the bleeding Adam and Lynn looks as shocked as ever. And Skeletor apologized for keeping Lynn in the dark. He explained when he destroyed the orb, he was forced to seek refuge in her wand staff to protect his essence. And then delivering a line like actor Mark Hamill would for his iconic uh, performance as the Joker says, you did good, Lenny. <laughs> and I, I immediately saw the Joker when yeah. he said that. Yeah. So uh, Skeletor tells Lynn to take her rightful place by his side. And after some what looked like some real hesitation, uh, and I would even say confusion, Lynn's old triggers and habits take hold 
and she seems to quickly sink back into her evil role telling them i really started you know liking you kids and andra yells at lynn you don't have to do this but lynn just aims her wand at andra and bounds her with magic and uh Beastman, he doesn't really sound very convincing when he says, yeah. you know, good to have you back, my lord. <laughs> you can tell he ain't feeling it. Yep. Yep. And uh Andra asks Skeletor, you know, what's wrong with him? You know, and uh Skeletor doesn't know who Andra is, which is an indication of, I guess, how limited his essence could witness the events going on around him when he was hidden in lynn's wand but uh regardless skeletor answers andra in a mocking fashion to look at his face which furnished him a lonely life where no one would have him as a man so why not let him be a god and then skeletor says those magic words and calls down the power and when the smoke clears, you know, the episode ends with a holographic projection of a god-looking Skeletor, the one you had mentioned, proclaiming, Now I, Skeletor, am master of the universe! And then the music swells, and we cut the black, and there's the credits. So, John, what are your Final thoughts of Masters of the Universe Revelation, Episode 5, The Forge at the Forest of Forever. I think uh, out of all the episodes, it's probably probably my uh, out of the first five, probably my second favorite, aside from the uh, the very first one. So, I mean, kind of, <laughs> uh, the, you know, first one <clears throat> was my favorite, and then the fifth one, the last one was my uh, second favorite in that order. So... I think, yeah, it had a lot of, uh, again, just the peaks and valleys of the other episodes and the emotion with the, uh, you know, Roboto dying, you know, Tila having that confrontation, even finally having that confrontation with Adam. Um, again, just tying up those loose ends that, you know, we always envision as kids, like what would happen if Tila found out, at, you know, Prince Adam was actually He-Man. Um, Skeletor realizing finally the power of, you know, Grayskull and, 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 you know, having the sword and, and being this, this, you know, this godlike figure. I think it really hit a lot of those, um, hit a lot of those, those buttons for me as far as what, what I'd like to see at Motu. And then also, you know, the pre-Turnia, you know, even though I won't have a, a you know, a one twelve you know, a one, uh, a skill version of that <laughs> when it, when it comes out, but just seeing all that, you know, seeing that realized that was, um, that was really, uh, really nice. And, yeah, overall, a really, really great episode, and just left me wanting. Just oh, I can't wait till this till the next series comes out. I can't wait till you know was it, when is when is this coming out? Um, which again, they've done a you know not to jump ahead, but you know with the 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 second part. I mean, they just they really just know how to just you know deliver and just make you want to have watch more of this. Like I want more. I mean, the CGI He Man. I've seen all you know all seasons of that. Enjoyed it. Just. You know, not you know, I, I like it for what it is. And then if they come out with the live action He Man, like I'll, I'm sure I'll I'll watch it, enjoy it, you know, for what it is. Um, but for me, this just like you said, I mean, this hits so many, you know, just hits me on so many different levels. Um, you know, people who don't understand when I watch it, you know, why, uh, you know, why I 
you know, watch, you know, why I go back and revisit it's all the time on Netflix, you know, they'll um, have people, you know, people when they go on, Nef you know, they, when they go through on Netflix and they see, wait, why is this continue watching? Did you watch this already? <laughs> why is it still on here? That's like, oh, I'm doing another lap of it. So like, yeah, I can, I can never get enough of it. It's something I can either have on the background or just, or watch it like, like I did today. I hadn't, I hadn't seen an episode, um, you know, just, just, just going to episode five directly knowing that i've seen you know the previous episodes and the in the ones after it but seeing that and i was immediately just pulled into the story again you know seeing the gravestone of orko and knowing what happened you know in the episode before that and already get already getting pulled into that that emotion and, and already feeling sad and, and and you know you know sad that orko was gone that he had sacrificed himself for his friends to to escape uh subaternia so yeah i mean it's something that I get, you know, some of the criticism and some of the uh, some of the things that you know that people were complaining about it. But overall, I I really did enjoy the uh, the episode and still enjoy the uh, the series as a whole. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need to ask part one and part two. Which one's your favorite? If you had to pick a part. Oh, it's 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 part two. Yeah, I think. me too. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, people seem to, you know, some people say, well, this guy, he been in it. It's a important scene in Skeletor, you know, and I, and I, but I think it's because, like I said before, it's like, it's a tale, you know, it's a tale of two stories. And it's just, you know, you have part one, and you have part two. Um, but it's like one long movie. And I think either, both, both of them are great, but I think, the fact that you're getting these little breadcrumbs, you know, of, of the fully returned, fully realized He-Man, because you see him in, in the first episode and, you know, not to spoil, but, you know, in, in the second part, the very end, he returns. But again, you're getting these little, we're not going to give you He-Man all the way. We're just going to, it's we're going to gradually lead up to that, you know. And I think when he transforms in the, uh, the final episode, I think it's finally earned, you know. Yeah, You've yeah. seen, you know, filmation 2000x where he just like transforms like like that it's just like 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 you know just like uh rinse wash repeat it's like yep he's gonna grab the sword he's gonna power up and he's gonna bow the villains and win. that's gonna be it but i think with this the fact that he was able to you know you know tell these this episode you know the story through 10 episodes and you know finally when he gets to transform it's like it's uh, to me it's like that's earned okay when he calls down the power and it's like yes we're finally here but yeah. you know to get to this point here in episode five it's like yes we're gonna we're not there yet we're you know you know we watch as a whole yeah we're gonna get there but now you know this is you know this is the uh you know this this the part you know um like any great story you know the end of the second act where it seems like things are just gonna go downhill it's like oh man now skeletor has the power it's like man it's gonna be bad but yeah overall like it as a whole, but if I had to choose, I, yeah, I, I I would choose, you know, part two. You know, for me, this episode really, if it did anything for me, it made me fall in love with Adam. Yeah. If, if there was one character I wasn't in love with, it was the Clark Kent of the Masters of the Universe um, franchise, you know, and for some reason, I always liked Adam. You know, and I liked them in the filmation series. I liked them 2000X, but yeah, I didn't love them. I didn't realize how important, how crucial, how heroic and selfless he really is. He really grew up to be until this series and until really this episode. 
you know, where I realized what kind of man he was, what kind of heart he has. And I really, if anything that I could pull from this episode and as a whole of this series is, is that Adam truly is um, a hero personified, you know, he man is the alter ego. He man is the power, but really what makes he man, he man is Adam, you know? And, um, and that's what this episode does for me. Otherwise, you touched on everything great on this episode, so I'm just going to forgo my final thoughts on the Forge of the Forest of Forever, and everyone can tell anyway that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And instead, um, since this marks our 10th episode and closes out part one of our retrospective series, and it's likely the last for Eternia podcast episode of this calendar year. I would just like to take this brief moment to thank everyone uh, for making this podcast so fun and making it possible. You know, since this debuted this past April from the wonderful people who sat in the guest and co-host chair, like John, to everyone out there watching and listening commenting and supporting it from the bottom of my heart. I just want to thank you so, so much. And uh, we have a lot of great episodes planned for next year and a bunch of cool special guests. Um, so it's only going to get better. So I just want to thank everyone out there for listening. So, so that about does it, John, do you have anything else that you would like to add or touch upon before we wrap up um no i mean i enjoy being a you know being a guest on the show i mean like like we had said earlier i'd seen uh some of the some of the show on 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 youtube and do amazing job i I love your analysis of each episode you do a great job of that and you know dissecting the episodes and and again just seeing the the love that fans show for this this franchise i mean it's just it's a great franchise and I mean, you do an amazing job and, and the positivity, you know, is, is, just, is always great to see. It's just, it's great to just be around people that, that really enjoy this, you know, whether it's revelation or filmation 2000 X or just the figures of the mini con, whatever it is. I mean, it's just always great to be around people that are positive around the, uh, the product, because again, it's something I grew up with as, as, you know, as a little, little, little kid and something that I've always cherished and something I've always going to, you know, it's always gonna be a special part, you know, of me and something that I'll, I'll, again, I'll cherish till, you know, for hopefully maybe another 40 years, you know, we get to the 80th, anniversary, 80th, 80th anniversary of He-Man. So we'll see, but yeah, that, that, yeah, I, I just, yeah, greatly appreciate being on and yeah, doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I, I had a great time having you on, John. Maybe um, down the road, you'd be interested in doing another episode for part two. So we'll see if I can lure you on, sir. I'll be ready. I'll be okay. ready. All right. Well, that's a wrap all. We'd like to thank John, who's been an absolute pleasure for co-hosting today. Thank you, sir. And please be sure to check out all of his outstanding toy photography on Instagram. Um, his account is at emerald underscore knights, like knights in shining armor, or it's Green Lantern reference, really. 
underscore photos. So at Emerald underscore night underscore photos. And um, I'll make sure I put a link in the uh, foraturnia.com podcast posting uh, to his Instagram page. And you'll also be able to find it if you're watching this on YouTube in the comments below. And um, so thank you again, John. And especially thanks to all of you out there for listening to this podcast. If you enjoy this show, please show us your support by subscribing to our streams our channels and please give us a like and a comment below if the stream you're listening to allows it you can always drop us a line too by sending us an email to foraturnia at gmail.com we'd really love the feedback and as always please visit us at foraturnia.com for all the latest updates and news as well as links to our social media pages like twitter facebook and instagram that can help you stay up to date with all the revelation revolution masterverse and masters of the universe content so that's it we'd like to thank you again for listening and let the power return happy holidays all we'll see you next time thank you <laughs>